we have on the notorious head of Team Nori. Why not us? No bad days. <laughs> Throw up all those hashtags like gang signs, young man. Sean Noriega, how you doing, kind sir? I'm doing great, Mr. Lapidat. How are we doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, in the last little bit, you, you've been almost like uh, Mr. Controversy a little bit on the low, like on powerlifting level. I mean, this isn't, you know, this is small potatoes maybe in the big grand scheme of sports. But um, when I opened it up, a lot of people were like, ask him about the, the mask incident, which mm-hmm. big, big picture for most people were like, this wasn't the, I didn't even think it was going to be an incident. But, um, you know, whatever, it is what it is. And, and uh, you said you were open to talking about it. So we could talk yeah. about, I don't want to, I also want to talk about the performance though. Um, but let's get the mask incident out the way because everyone was, that's something that popped up and then we could hammer that down and then talk about the performance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, dude, I didn't expect it to be a thing at all. And then the morning after the meet, I just was flooded, uh, with, with messages and comments and people telling me like, Oh, they're talking about you in the Facebook group for the USAPL referees. Like people are wanting to get you banned. And I'm just like, what the hell is even going? Like, I didn't even know there was a problem. So <clears throat> to give you a quick rundown, because a lot of people don't know this, I, I kept silent on the issue completely on social media um, because I knew that I was going to have to go through some sort of appeal process and I didn't want to say anything other than exactly what I wanted to say to the people I needed to say it to, which was the USAPL executive committee and disciplinary committee. Um, so I didn't post anything about it, but basically what had happened was, oh, and I, I wanted to get this out of the way. One of the funny things that people were saying was like, you know, with the, with the mask incident, they were saying I was making some sort of political statement by not <laughs> oh wearing my mask or something. And, and I don't even think people realize this, but I, I was definitely pro wearing masks, especially at the onset of, of COVID and starting lockdowns. I thought that that was a, a reasonable thing to be doing for a certain period of time. Um, but yeah, it ended up, what happened was the morning after the meet or maybe two days after the meet, I got an email from the USAPL, um, saying that I was provisionally suspended, which basically for anybody who hasn't been suspended by the USAPL, which is 99.99% of the people listening. I've had the pleasure. (laughs) it, (laughs) It basically means that until we have all the evidence and the whole story, you're suspended. And then when we go through the, the appeal process and a decision is rendered, then we will determine whether or not you are suspended at all or determine the length of the suspension, whatever. So as you know, this was one of the first meets that was allowed to happen in the USAPL um, after COVID put us all on lockdown. And there were emails and newsletters sent out about wearing masks per CDC guidelines. Everybody at the meet, you know, came with a mask. Everything was cool. At one point during the meet, a lifter from my gym asked the technical coordinator, can we have our masks below our nose during the lifting? And word for word, like I had witnesses and everything, uh, word for word, the technical coordinator was like, we don't give a fuck. So, so, So I had lifts during the meet where my mask came down mid lift like i i so to give you backstory i wrote like an 11 page appeal to the usapl with photo evidence video evidence witnesses witness contacts like i i went all out on this 
And <clears throat> I included videos of some of my lifts because people only saw, you know, third attempts that I posted. The stream was taken off of YouTube, so nobody saw any of the other lifts. My mask was on and came off mid-lift. Now, at this point in the USAPL protocol, nobody had any sort of plan for when that happens, right? Eventually, a couple of weeks later, after my whole incident, everybody, you know, in the USAPL higher-ups came down and said, if your mask falls off and a judge decides to tell you, like, hey, you have to fix it, you have to re-rack the weight, fix it. If it happens mid-lift, there's nothing you can do about it, right? So there were lifts that it was just organically came off of my face. Like when I take a breath in, it comes off of my nose. Masks, unless they're like heavy-duty masks, aren't really staying on that easily. Um, but like I said, at one point in the meet, somebody said like, yeah, we don't give a fuck, right? So that established the precedent, right? There's no, There was no change or amendment to the USAPL bylaws about you know what the penalty was for wearing the masks you know, stuff like that, right? We just had that, that newsletter of guidelines. So <clears throat> there were other lifters who were doing the same thing. Um, and nobody at any point during the meet, refs, meet officials, technical coordinators, no administrators told me like, hey, pull your mask up. You know, this is against some sort of, you know, violation to have it below the nose. The Along with the like the USAPL rules about like equipment malfunctions and all that sort of stuff. Like if you had a wrist wrap thumb loop on or something along those lines, you're supposed to receive some sort of warning. I didn't get any sort of warning on it. Right. So my plan was not to intentionally disobey the rules. My plan was to be there to lift. So if somebody had corrected me, I gladly would have fixed everything. It's like, I'm not going to leave a meet because I can't wear my mask. Like I wore my mask all prep leading up to that point to prepare for having a lift with a mask on. Um, so whatever, the meet happens, finish up, everything good to post my, my meet recap to, to Instagram. And one of my friends from MIT, who is not associated with the USAPL at all, like friend of mine, nobody really knows him, comments jokingly, he's like, he's like 10 out of 10 performance, but two out of 10 on the mask. And I jokingly respond, I'm like, that was intentional with like a winky face. And some ref in the USAPL took that as some sort of, you know, admission of guilt, which clearly wasn't, um, and just put it in the Facebook uh, USAPL referee group, which I'm not in because I'm not a referee. And all these people just start having this conversation about what I did and what I was trying to do and what my intentions were, not knowing at all what happened because one, they don't know what my intentions were, and two, Nobody was there that was participating in this conversation. So this whole dialogue just festered to the point where obviously Larry and Priscilla have to step in, you know, that's their job. And they're like, okay, we're going to look into this based on the evidence that they had. They're like, okay, it makes sense to suspend you. But then, like I said, I went through the whole appeal process and brought to them all of these little bits of context and evidence to basically say like, hey, no, like this was not my intention. This was no political statement. Like, the 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 regulation was just really lax at the meet like there were other lifters with their masks down there were people working at the meet with their masks down like it was it was it was new territory right like this was literally the first weekend of meets post covid and 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 i think a lot of people just didn't really know how to handle things properly so with the appeal process you had 15 days to report after getting your um you know suspension or disciplinary action it gets submitted to the disciplinary committee. They make a recommendation to the executive committee, and then you have a decision that's rendered. 
and I submitted my appeal. I heard back in September. I was at the Colorado event. So it was about six weeks after I submitted it, five, six weeks. And the suspension was lifted. They were like, you did violate the COVID guidelines per the USAPL newsletter, but you know, you're just on probation. So you have all privileges of being a USAPL member, but in the event that you violate some sort of COVID regulation again, then you're going to get some sort of, you know, defined suspension, mm -hmm. which makes total sense. Like I don't, I, I understand the EC's decision to like look into this and try to, you know, make a, you know, put their foot down and, and make a decision. But I think that because of how the people on social media who were just like butthurt about a situation they didn't understand, it just ended up blowing up into this thing that it didn't need to, so. Dude, it blew, talk about blowing up out of, I, people were like taking snapshots mid lift it's showing and like being like, look at you see his mouth because he's but it's mid lift and yeah like you walk out there the mask was one way you start yeah. lifting and the mask is another that happens and people were um taking snapshots as well with yes your your comment and then the comment was gone so if you deleted your comment to your friend which is totally out of context like here's the thing when it comes to comments when it's just a copy if you say something to me and you're you're my friend I say something back. Only me and you bust chops, text, whatever. You know me, I know you. And I'm like, I say something like you said, where it's, yeah, that was, I was on purpose. I was just trying to, you know, if I'm, if me and you got this, like where I'm, I'm stirring some shit, I'm just whatever. It's, but you can't, it's not in person where you could tell I'm joking. Certain people will snapshot that, get yep. themselves wound up. Because like you said, it's, we're living in weird times where a mask is political. And they, people make their own backup stories when, without knowing, they give you your intentions without asking you what your intentions were. Yeah. And um, they're like, well, Sean must be thinking this. And Sean was trying to make a statement because of that. This is what I think Sean's political views are. This would fall in line. And they're, they're adding it all up. And then building a case where it's like, you haven't even talked to <laughs> Sean yet. And, um, and then if you delete that comment to your friend that you were joking, they're like, well, that means he really... If he deleted that comment to his friend, that means he really was trying to make a statement because he deleted it. No, but he might have deleted it because everybody's taking it out of context. That's what you do. When people take a comment out of context, you're like, what the shit is happening? You delete the comment because because you're like, this is turning into something I don't have control over. Yeah. It's so, just, you know, yeah, so. So, to, so, to, so to address that, after the fact, everyone, you know, people were like, well, why'd you delete it? I'm like, well, shit. Yeah, that's that doesn't help my case. Right. But what happened was. I was getting messages about the comment before I knew that somebody had already like screenshot it and made this whole uh, ordeal in official groups. So what happened was I posted that comment. I think I was, you know, like we were, you know, the group of us that were at the meet uh, were like celebrating. I made the comment to my friend, whatever. And then I start getting, like I said, the next day I was getting direct messages from people who were just mad at me mm. for the mask incident. So I'm like, okay, these people are pissed off. Let me delete the comment. I didn't know that it was already being published in other places. So, I mean, if you didn't know that that was the sequence of thing, you'd be like, oh yeah, he's totally trying to, to cover something up, right? So, you know, that that's what that is. But you you said exactly, you know, you said exactly the right thing. Like people were in that group were already people who didn't like me from years before. So they were trying to invoke these past sort of, you know, 
incidents where they're using it as the case to build up, oh, this is because of all of these things, this is evidence for why this was a malicious attempt to break the rules, defy the USAPL law. I'm like, I'm the biggest proponent of, like, I think the USAPL is the best federation. Like, I have no desire to, uh, you know, defy the rules or, or dismantle it in any way. Um, like I said, I was there to lift. Like, if on the first squat, somebody were like, hey, man, pick your mask up. Like, I'm going to pick my mask up or find a tighter mask that I can just lift in because I went there to do one thing and one thing only. And I'm too good of a lifter to make a political statement with my time on the platform. That's how it is. Like, you know, it's um, in real court, like when you go to court, they have to try you. Even if you have a crazy record, they're not allowed to bring in your record or anything previous. They have to look at the incident and the incident alone and leave it at that for a reason. Because you could, if you go too deep and start looking at everything else, all your other interactions with this individual, everything else you're going to see on his social media and try to build your own like we know social media is a terrible way to try to get to know someone. But if you try to build your own bullshit background from a guy and build your own bullshit intentions, and then you walk into it with that, that's not fair at all. You have to be like, listen to me, look at me like, like a blank slate and just look at the evidence of the day. That's it. Don't bring with, don't, don't come in no preconceived. Cause then it's not fair. It's a kangaroo yep. trial. I, I don't have a chance here. There's a reason why real courts are like, wipe all that clean. Look at the incident, the incident alone. If, if something gets brought up, it's not pertaining to the incident, it's inadmissible. Don't tell me about previous shit you might've seen or whatever, start building up some, some. It, we all do this in, in real life when we think we know who people are via social media. You get to know them, you're like, oh shit, okay, it wasn't what I expected. Well, when you're in this role, and obviously they, they sided with you, so I'm glad they did. So they did that. But when you're in this role, it is important to be like, we got to blank slate this and look at it. And when you come in with 11 pages, man, you're from MIT, you know how to put together a paper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. With citations and the whole nine. No, there were there were there were citations to the rule book. There were oh damn. It. No, dude, it was everything was in there. It's actually funny. There's one picture that I included where I'm getting ready to walk out for my third squat, which is the post, which was the video that people were looking at, like, ah, oh, his mask's not on. There's a picture of me getting ready to walk out for my third squat. I'm on deck. And I'm surrounded by seven other people. And I am the only one in the picture of eight people with his mask on. The oh, only one. Right. So there, so there you go, where it kind of paints a picture of, you're like, look, at I'm, I'm, this is my first meet back. I'm going to go with what I'm told. I don't know, the, I, you tell me. I show up, there's officials everywhere. Nobody says nothing to me. After the fact, I'm told I'm disqualified. Yeah, you'd be like, man, why that day? Just one conversation after one, just pull me aside and be, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Anything. I don't, but like I said, I don't, I don't blame the meat, you know, the, the meat director. I don't blame the meat director at all. I don't blame the refs at all. Like it's a local meet. These are all volunteers. And it was the first weekend back. Like I said, it's not something that people know how to handle properly, especially since at that time, the USAPL was also trying to figure out how they handle this properly. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, like I said, there were, there were, there was a newsletter sent out about how to wear the mask, but there was no set guidelines for how referees were to conduct themselves, no amendments to the bylaws. It was not until a couple weeks later that they finally came out with, okay, this is the set of rules that every meet director, judge, and lifter needs to follow. These are the contingencies. Should this happen, this is what you're supposed to do. If this happens, like it just, 
it's it's like you know with anything that you're you're doing in some sort of new environment or new circumstances it's like there's always going to be something that comes up that you don't anticipate to happen 100% yeah no you're 100% right do you, do you think this was bound to happen um at some point regardless like there's going to be some loose like because you're putting in brand new things and everything is there's theory and then there's applied. So kind of like you said, once you apply it, you're like, oh shit, we got to amend a few things here because they didn't run exactly how we thought. But when it comes to COVID, man, that's just, the governments have a hard time dealing with this. I, I don't blame, I don't blame for the record, the meet the records, USAPL. I think everyone's trying to do their best and you're just no, like, absolutely. yeah. Um, do you think it was bound to happen? Or do you think the fact that, cause you are a much more noticeable person on social media, because it, 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 it forced the hand of the USAPL because of who you are, outspoken like you are, um, and people, which which makes people on both sides. Some people love Sean Yuri. I guess some people want to stick it to Sean Yuri if they get the chance, right? And that's that's probably where you should be. Be relevant, right? But um, so they, the fact that it was you, do you think some people, it made it more, it will, it, it for sure caught on. Listen, I, oh, I keep this, I'm, hey. I'm getting DMs like crazy. And I'm like, I don't freaking know, man. And they're like, you know, do you think it forced the hand or do you think it would even happen like this if it wasn't you? I don't, I I 100% do not believe it would have happened this way if it weren't me. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. There were, in my appeal, I had other pictures and videos from other meets of lifters without their masks on. Um, while on the platform, uh, off the platform, I got pictures of judges taking pictures with lifters, neither of them with masks on, literally the same weekend. So like, I compiled all the evidence I could to be like, hey, this was a targeted decision. And then I also, from people who I know who are refs, who informed me about the Facebook groups, would send me screenshots of who was really the proponent of stoking these fires to get me in trouble. And they were all faces I've seen before, people I know who don't like me. Um, and that's fine. Like, I don't, I don't care if, you know, if I've, I've certainly said some incendiary things. I don't, you know, I don't try to be unanimously uh, liked. But there were numerous other lifters at my meet as well as other meets who did the same thing. Um, but no comments were made about them and none of them received any sort of disciplinary action. Like, I know for a fact that there were lifters who were caught on video having, you know, committing the same sort of infraction who did not receive something from the USAPL. So I do think it was like, all right, he's a big face, contentious figure, drew a lot of controversy and stirred, you know, stirred the pot in a, uh, you know, in a public forum. And, you know, they had to, to act on that. Right. Mm. So. <clears throat> it's like yeah, a gift and a curse, man. Um, it, it, getting attention when you when you want to um, voice your opinion and then it gets heard but on the flip side when people get upset by your opinion and uh it, like you know it's one thing to like to disagree with things that someone says but it's another if you're if you let it bias you if you're in a position to make decisions and be like i'm gonna i'm gonna go at this guy with big guns if i can it's a little different right like you, you gotta try not to to do that that's why i try to always separate with like King of Lifts, I tell myself, this is not my personal account. It doesn't matter if this guy says shit about me on a podcast or whatever, I'm going to repost them. No matter what, or her or whatever, I have to just be like, my, I, this is bigger than me and my feelings and whatever the hell. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, in the end of the day, all is well that ends well. I mean, you're here. And it, it actually, in a weird way, helped set protocol, helped tighten it anyways. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, you, I mean, you'd be like, you're welcome. I'm the, I'm the hero you needed. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna say all that. I don't want to, I don't want to. No, you. dude, people get so mad if you're like, you're welcome. Okay, you get a cocky video about it. They're like, oh, no, son we're, of a bitch. we're we're not doubling down like that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, down. It, it definitely, it definitely was something that you know needed to happen in the sense that you know there was a lot of unknowns in terms of, like I said, the contingencies for figuring out how to make meets run efficiently and. As far as I know, like meets have been running great in the USAPL yeah. lately. Like every meet that I've seen or been to has run well. I don't know of anybody who's gotten COVID from a competition or has been traced back to any sort of competition. Uh, you know, same deal with the event that we had in Colorado. Like nobody there got sick. Everyone went home, got tested. There was, a, you know, a bunch of us in, in really close, you know, proximity and nobody got sick. So it's good. You know, it yeah. seems like everything's running smoothly. I agree. Now let's talk about that 825. Yeah. What, 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 so, um, I mean, first off, that put you in the top five all time, am I not mistaken? Yeah, number three. Number so three. Russ okay. is 833. Gibbs hit 830 and a half. And then that would be 825 would be number three. Okay, man. Eight, that's top three, dead or alive, 83 kilos. So leading into this, um, because before that, people were asking about like what happened at um, U.S. Raw Nationals the year before, and you had had spoken about it in terms of the weight cut. Um, no, 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 that was two years ago. Was that two years ago with the salt? Yeah, and two years not? ago was the salt thing. This past year, if you want to cover this briefly, just because I don't think I've been on since then, but okay, let's do it. I had yeah. So going into 2019, my dude, my training in early 2019 on squat and deadlift is probably the strongest I've been to date. Like I was you know, just over the moon, happy with my training. And then I had that accident on the pit shark and tore my meniscus. Mm. Um, rehab that fairly quickly. And then <laughs> like months after tearing my meniscus, I tore my adductor going into nationals. And it was just like one of those things where it's like, I'm not, I don't make excuses and I'm not quitting. Like I've, it's, it's almost been every nationals that I've done that I've gotten like some sort of injury before. And mm. I'm just like, I'm always like waiting for the the uh, what's the phrase the next shoe to drop yes is that, is that the term is that the phrase yes it is right like yeah. I'll, I'll get to like five weeks out from nationals and i'm like all right i'm not hurt yet what's what's gonna happen like i'm, I'm waiting for it i'm ready so that happened and you know i just i just wasn't strong like i i i went in did what i could but you know obviously it wasn't it wasn't enough um and then just after nationals i just got healthy and um you know, abstained from competing because I've competed like three times a year for the past, you know, pretty much since I started. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm not, I, I used to pride myself on how durable I was. And I think it's just, you know, it's catching up where it's like, okay, you can't just like go from prep to prep. Like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, I took a while off and was, was planning on doing this one meet. And I was like, I'm going to just go for really conservative PRs and just let that build the total since historically I don't make all nine lifts. So it's fun. This one was real close to when nationals would have been though in the fall. It's like one of those deals where like, fuck me, man. I didn't get injured this prep had to meet in the fall. This could have been like, you know, ah, if only this would have been the nationals, you know what I mean? It's one of those, ah, oh. but it is what it is obviously. But were you kind of feeling like that walking into this being like, I would like to put together as big a, as big a total as possible. Cause in the 83s in 2020, correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't seen a bigger total. 
Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I'm sure if Russ were to compete, we would see one. Um, but yeah, I mean, coming into the meet, I was super laid back because I knew that everything that I wanted to hit on meet day. And again, like, you know, I wasn't coming in with any sort of lofty goals. Like I just wanted to put together, you know, little PRs on each lift. But since I've had so many meets where it's been like big PR on one lift, but then misses on others, it's like the little PRs on each lift. If I could string them all together in the same meet would have a really big total PR. Um, and I'd hit everything and more in training, um, that I wanted to hit in the meet. So I was super laid back coming into the meet. Um, and I hit everything I wanted with the exception of, of squats. Um, but that was more of a, uh, what happened was I had, I had issues with depth as have been happening over the past year. Um, so I missed my opener on depth and I was like, I could go up, but I don't want to risk missing on depth. So I'm going to loosen my belt a notch just so I could try to bottom it out, retake my opener, and then just jump to what my plan second was going to be. And even if I hit that, if I hit my goal third bench and deadlift, I'll still be on pace for 10 times. So I was just like, all right, I'm not going to get greedy here. I don't have a history of, you know, putting together a stellar meat performance. Um, well, most of the time, at least. So I was like, just retake you know, get your plan second on squat and then just move on. And, you know, if anything, the, the bench and deadlifts were what I was most confident in anyway. So, you know, I, I trusted that the back end could, could finish the day fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, you certainly have pieced together big performances, but it had been a bit where you were walking in there like, oh, what's that one song? Y'all must've forgot. Like when people are talking, like, you know, it's like, all right. And then when you, um, some of the questions we got, like people were asking about like, a nine for nine performance. And it's almost like a unicorn, man. It happens, but it's like almost like a fairy tale to get a nine for nine. Nine for nine is very difficult to attain. And uh, especially in, in top end performance like that. So when you walk in there and you miss your opener, were you like, son of a bitch? Well, I guess it's not today. Already, like your very first lift, you're like, well, fuck, okay. At least, you know, it's almost half good. You're like, okay, let's just get that out the way then. Fine. It's not nine for nine. It still ended up being 10 times body weight, and third greatest of all time, but. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was okay with the performance. I mean, it was, it wasn't a, uh, I guess I'll put it this way. Like it was exactly what I expected, which is just, it's just good. It's right. Like if you have an expected outcome and you hit it, it's like, great. I did what I wanted to do, but I wasn't like, you know, obviously wasn't blown away by it. Um, like That's weird missed... to me, you know, like, let me say something right here. When you posted, you were kind of like that too. And then when I, I messaged you right afterwards and you were kind of like, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And I was like, dude, this is like, you were the third, I think that was the third heaviest 10 times body weight total we'd ever seen. Cause you joined Russell and Brett, mm -hmm. um, obviously third biggest in 83 kilo history. Like you were making historical numbers here. And, uh, like that's, that's massive. And you were like, Meh, no, no, it's, it was solid. But I, I was a little shocked with like, like how underwhelmed cause you would, especially with some of the some of the performances before where um, the incident were going in not best, like you had some injuries going into last nationals, and then before that, obviously a weight cut incident where it just wasn't there. You could tell watching the stream something something's going on. This isn't Sean's best. So when you put together a day like that, I was like, oh hell yeah! And the the internet was talking like you. Yeah. Or key everyone else. I was excited as shit. I messaged you was like, holy damn! And most people like, oh damn! Like a performance like that, Sean. You you. If you get all three squats with that performance, that on any given day could win worlds because worlds like um, I understand Russ's top end, Brett's top end could be God knows where, but their top end, you know, better than anybody top end. Isn't always, it's like, 
every now and then. Every now and then you get the top end performance, but it's certainly not I show up in top ends. I look at look at Taylor, for God's sake. Look what he did here. Look what he did earlier this year. A difference of like 30 some odd kilo, right? So yeah. I was like, I was blown away. Not I knew you were capable, but I was glad you put it together. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a little surprised you were kind of like, well, why is that? Why why weren't you as happy? Well, 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 I'll give you I'll give you two answers to this because I do have two answers. It's right. one, I want to win. Like that is that is the main driver and I don't I don't think I'll ever feel like ah, like that relief until that happens and, and you know it it might be years it might be never right like I but it's something that I am always going to chase it's something I'm always going to believe that I'm, I'm capable of at some point um and to me that's that's when I'll exhale right like that's how I feel um but to your point about making history I think the thing that that I guess people neglect maybe is that like everybody is making history like powerlifting is not plateauing like mm -hmm. every year we see a new world record every few months we see a new world record we're not breaking some sort of long-standing you know 1994 you know gene bell or ed Cohn set this 83 kilo world record total it's like no every single year lifters are getting better and the bar keeps getting raised. So I'm not going to be like, oh, I did the third best in in 83 kilo history. Cause the fact of the matter is like the best 83 lifters haven't existed until right now. Right. So it's I like I, I'm gonna I have to keep moving with that, you know, you have to keep uh keep pace. Like it's not it's not like there's some, you know, long, like I said, there's no long standing record or ranking that I'm busting past it's like no this is the playing field this is how it's moving and you have to keep mm. moving with it so you know what that is an interesting perspective to say i get it i i hit a 10 times body weight i get it not a lot of people before have done that but more and more are going to and this is now the pace and i'm just keeping yeah. pace i'm not going to celebrate until here's here's a question though for you what happens if um <clears throat> win but it wasn't that nine for nine pr day but you do win but you tell you, but you do leave yourself, leave the competition saying, I won, but top opposition, whoever was on that day, whether it's Russ and US, bred internationally or both, they had their shitty day because it's their turn. Yeah. And that happens in sport. How would you feel then? You know, it's tough because like I guess, I guess since I've played, I, I was gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna say it anyway, since I played a real sport. <laughs> I, got, I know what you mean but yeah but but since i played a real sport for years in the sense that you are competing against somebody like when you're lifting you're like kind of competing against somebody when it's the highest level because there's strategy but like you're lifting a weight right like it's you against a very objective thing right so to your point about you know feeling satisfied with a win if somebody has a shitty day like when you're playing a competitive sport that's head to head, truly head to head, you guys directly influence the other person's outcome. So it's like you, you, you dominated the other person, but when you're lifting, it's not entirely that case. Like for example, this past year at nationals had Russ bombed on depth. I don't know that I would have really been happy with that win. Like it, it, you know, it could have happened. Right. But it's, it's one of those scenarios where you're just like, he didn't even get the chance to, to show what he can do. You know what I mean? And granted it is, it is the analogous scenario to a professional sport. If a pitcher, you know, walks in runs or gives up home runs or a quarterback throws interceptions, whatever. 
right? Like there are always those variables that'll, you know, lead to somebody putting it together or not. But I think that I'll need to feel like I actually beat somebody rather than them, you know, beating themselves. And I, and I don't foresee, you know, a competition, you know, let's say nationals, I don't foresee Russ beating himself. Like he puts it together 99 times out of a hundred. So that is what I'm expecting to go against. And that is how I, you know, I would feel the, I guess the sense of accomplishments beating that, if that makes it, sense. It's tough because um, like, I know you mean where, where he, uh, when you said like, he didn't have, the, he wouldn't have had the opportunity on the flip side, someone could say, well, he had three and he missed yeah. all three, but, but sure. I do know what you mean. What if though, cause that's the, the in total. And I do agree. If, if you beat someone on bomb out, it's a little tougher to throw your hands up and be like, I just murdered that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a little yeah. wild, sort of, no, but, um, but um, however, what if it's a case though, because I just asked this because if you look at, for instance, when Brett beat Russ, um, mm-hmm. Brett had a phenomenal day and Russ went in there and, and his deadlift was nowhere close uh, leading into, he didn't talk a lot about some issues he was dealing with because everyone deals with issues and yep. Russ is just the type of guy he's just not going to talk about it. So he's going to show up commentating. I remember thinking like ahead of time, talking to my co-commentator, Russ has got a dead on him. And um, his dead was quite a bit lower than expected. And he mm-hmm. really petered off and, uh, and it was what it was. So we kind of knew Russ wasn't at the greatest condition, but Brett was in a phenomenal one. And talk was Brett might've won anyways. So whatever, don't dwell on it. Brett wins. The next year, Brett wasn't 100%. Flip side though, Russ was phenomenal. Might not have mattered again because maybe Brett at his best, he had never shown that he could do what Russ did that day. So maybe Russ would have won regardless anyways. But as it stands, Brett was having a rough day, went in there with some injuries and that's kind of sports. So it, it's one of those paradoxes where, especially with guys like you, Russ, athletes in general, you'll never always be satisfied because you want you to be 100% your opposition to be 100%, and then you beat your opposition. But the chances are, when you win, the, the how good of an opportunity is it that this guy's going to be 100%? It almost never happens. And yeah. so that's where it's kind of one of those deals where you can be at 100% coming second. How do you feel about this? You give 100%, nine out of nine, and you hit numbers, you're like, oh my God. That was the, I don't know if I'll ever do as good as that again. He came in second. Russ misses a couple, seven out of nine, has a decent day, or like, and you came in second. A different situation. Russ misses a couple, seven out of nine, decent, hit about eight, 830. You hit 835. People thought Russ might have been a little better than that, but whatever. He had some issues. Not major, showed up, put in a performance, but he had some issues, but you won. Yeah. Which one of those, which one of those means more to you? No, I mean, I, that is the sport, right? Like you have to make attempts. It's not just who is, who is the stronger lifter. So, I mean, that's, that's part of the game, right? And playing the hype, I'm not, you know, playing the hypotheticals, like you, you know, you mentioned before with the whole, you know, I think Russ would have, or Brett would have won anyway in 2018, or Russ would have won anyway in 2019. If, you know, the opposition was healthy, like that's, that's just too much. What ifs, right. But like, like the, the example that I was bringing up before, I think is, fairly concrete where it's like if somebody misses on depth 
you know, you know, I, I know it's a what if, but it's like the strength was there to, you know, dunk a squat. And I, I know it's like, a, it's also part of the sport, but it's just like, it kind of feels, you know, cheap in a way hmm. to be like, oh, I won. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, it is, it is part of the sport. But to answer your question, I mean, if I go, if I have the best meet of my life and I still come in second, I'm not going to be happy with that. Like, I'll be like, wow, like I, I did everything that I could, but I'm not going to, like, it wasn't good enough, right? So you yeah. have to do more going forward. It's like, okay, this is where my ceiling is at right now. And this is where it needs to be in order to pull off a win. So that is what you, you work toward, right? I'm not going to be like, well, you did a good job. Like, it's like when, when you're, I've seen this happen with like sports where like, a, you know, uh, two teams make it to the Super Bowl or the World Series or whatever. And like a, a reporter or somebody starts like interviewing the somebody on the losing team. And they're like, congrats, you came so far. Like you should be proud of yourself. It's like, ugh, that's disgusting to me. Like I would, ugh, that feels even worse. Like getting to that point and then losing. Like I'm not. There was an. I remember there was an interview I watched with um, with Derek Jeter, and he was on. I think it was like Center Stage, which is like one of the Yes Networks uh, specials. And they were interviewing him and asking him about losing. And they were like, you know, what feels worse? Like, you know, not making it to the world series or like losing in the world series. And it's just like, what kind of question is that? And they're like, well, doesn't it feel better to like make it to the world series and then lose? And he's like, nope, no, it doesn't. Really? No shit. I don't know what I would feel about it. If I, uh, at the end of the, I'm sure in the moment when you just lost, you're like, I don't, it feels it's too harsh to tell me condolences but you should feel proud about it's like not right now it's almost condescending it's almost like patronizing it's almost like you didn't even think i was gonna win i <laughs> i know that this is a it's not really like a it kind of sounds like hardo and it's like not really a healthy mindset for like a lot of people to have but like i don't know if you've seen the movie whiplash have you seen that movie so the movie with the drummer it's like jk simmons and miles i don't think Heller. i have no tell me all right well it's a movie about a drummer and <clears throat> he goes to, it's basically, you know, Juilliard. Wait, is he a kid? Yeah, yeah. In, in a band school and the older guy is teaching him yep. bald headed. Yep. Yes, I exactly. have seen it. Dude, okay. that was a phenomenal movie, by the way. Excellent, excellent movie. And I, and I think that this is a, you know, perhaps in some cases too romanticized because I think it could be unhealthy for a lot of people. But one of my favorite quotes from that movie from J.K. Simmons is he's talking to Miles Teller and he's like, there are no two more uh, harmful words in the English language than good job. And obviously that's not, uh, you know, a realistic thing to say, but the context in which he's speaking is he's talking about being the teacher who is going to make the next Charlie Parker, right? He's like, I am trying to bring out the next phenom who is just relentless and is just going to essentially be this martyr that sets the standard for like what excellence in, in jazz is. Right. So it's like, that is kind of how I feel about it. Like I've had meets where I'm just like, I know that I didn't do what I came to do. And then people will be like, good job. And I'm just like, mm, I fucking hate <laughs> so much. Yeah. You're like, damn, that's a tough one to swallow. Yeah. You might as well have told me, go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It is. Um, I mean, a lot of those guys that are your sports idols when you get to know them, you think they're happy and whatnot, but it's, it's <clears> funny. It's a funny thing where like, you're never satisfied a, and when you, if you've been winning a long time, Michael Jordan talked about this in the last dance, he's like, 
in the beginning you win and never been happier. Oh my God. And then you win again and you're like, Oh my God. After like three, four, five times, it started turning into relief, not joy. Oh, thank God we won. Thank God the pressure of winning and whatnot. And it gets weird. It stops being because you can't rest on your laurels. And then when other guys around, and he ended up getting fist fighting with teammates, but he was when other guys around him would come in and they were kind of lax, but he felt the pressure and he's like, What are you guys celebrating about? Yep. You weren't there all these other years. You're kind of new to the team right now. You just hopping on here, like, oh, we got this. He's like, No, mate. Like it's it changes on you. And then you start to lose a bit of that flair. Like, do yeah. you how do you feel when you think about powerlifting, especially now that you're a coach and an athlete and actively on social media and posting your own athletes, by the way, thank you very much. Helps me the king of the list for scouting. I go to, <laughs> uh, I see the team Nori boys and it makes it easy. Uh, but how do you feel about it? How was your fire burning? Cause you've been going to raw nationals. Is it 2015? Yeah. Five years, brother. Of, and you've seen from 2015, it looks, it looked nothing like 2019. No. Um, it's getting bigger and bigger, but is the fire still burning? Does it come and go for you because it's it's too much powerlifting on day to day? You know, you're sniffing at other everything. It's like powerlifting is so much alive. I'd like to think I don't burn out. I I've never once felt that, um, and it's it's been something that I've learned. You know, luckily I learned years ago because if I hadn't learned it yet, I probably wouldn't be a good coach. But I've always felt and again i'm still young so maybe the years will come but i've never ever felt burnt out doing anything like i've always had the mindset of like i need to do the job until it's done Mm -hmm. and a lot of people aren't like that and that's fine um but for a while i think it was difficult for me to not be like oh you just don't want it like you know, and, and if you don't feel this way, then you just, you, you're not, you know, you're not cut out for it. Um, and, you know, I think that that is, it definitely yields success for the people who have that mindset, but I think that there are other ways that you can get somebody to that same point who otherwise might've been discouraged. And like, I remember in that, in the movie Whiplash where Miles asks, you know, JK Simmons, he's like, well, what, you know, what happens if you get discouraged? And he's like, the next Charlie Parker wouldn't get discouraged. And it's like, it's like a, it's like a romantic thing to say, but I mean, I think we've come to the, to the conclusion that that's not true. Like there's other ways to get it, get to athletes, to motivate them, whatever. But um, yeah, my own, I guess it just probably had to do with like my upbringing, um, both like, you know, family-wise, as well as, like, in sports, just the type of coaches I had, just, like, these very, like, intense masculine coaches, um, and, yeah, I don't know, I've, I've, I've not felt any less fervor for powerlifting, like, I just, I want to keep doing it, same deal with coaching, like, I just want to keep doing it, and I think, for me, the hardest thing has been having to direct that energy toward less things to toward fewer things um because i've always just kind of had my my hand in so many different things and i think that with covid it was actually great that this happened because i mean obviously not great that it happened but for me the result of this happening is like your circumstances now lend themselves to you for it to make sense to dedicate all of your time toward coaching and lifting and it's like that's it 
So it's like, it just narrows down, you know, how much intensity you pour into all these different outlets. So, I mean, if anything during this, especially during this past year, it's only, you know, the fire is burning brighter, I guess. You mentioned uh, not, not quitting till you're done. And that's something yeah. that like athletes, when you're in, when you're in each session, doesn't matter how you feel, you're going to get the job done. If you got to lessen the weight, whatever, because you're not looking to get injured, but you will finish when you're done. You'll finish the peak when you're done and you're going to finish your run when you're done. But what is the end game for Sean Noriega? When will you, what is this where you're like, okay, I hit what I came here to do and I'm not going to stop until I get it. What is that? Well, I think it's an interesting question because I think that there are people who have those goals. And then as we know, you know, you reach goals and it doesn't feel the way you expected it to. It never is going to feel that way. Right. Like you get your, you get your few minutes or hours or days, whatever, of feeling like you're on the mountaintop. And then it's just like this, this existential crisis of like, ah, what's next and (laughs) blah, 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 process oriented, blah, 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 fall in love with the journey. So, I mean, I've had, I've like, I, I do want to win the 83 kilo weight class. At some point I would like to move up and say that I could win the next weight class. Um, but I mean, I don't have anything that I'll be like, you know, I, your question is like, what is, what is the end game for you? Right? Like the thing, mm-hmm. the moment where you can, you know, be Thanos watching the sunset on a grateful universe. I don't, I don't, I don't think that exists. Cause I think whatever I do, I'm just going to try to find something else. And it's, you know, whether that's, you know, trying to win a weight class multiple times or trying to win multiple weight classes or, you know, saying I'm going to divert all this energy into coaching or, you know, I don't really know. I don't know. But right now, I mean, my, my goal is to, as a lifter, win the 83 kilo weight class. And then as a coach, just, just build a team of monsters and, and have the coaches under me, you know, continue to build a team of monsters, basically just be the best coaching team out there. It's, um, it's kind of like, you're like, look, I don't know the size of the meal that's going to make me full, but I can tell you I'm not full yet. Yeah. So when you ask me how many, how many pizzas could you eat? I don't fucking know, but keep feeding me slices and I'll let you know when we get it. How's that sound? Right? You're like, still hungry, kid, still hungry. And it's just like when you said, um, if I ever get to that moment where I'm Thanos looking over at the sunset, well, guess what? Some new Avengers showed up and the fight was still on. So as soon as you win, then some new guys appear and they, they're winning their nationals. Like, oh, can Sean beat this guy? And then you might be like, you know what? Let me see if I can beat that guy. And it's it, it almost, you're right. You don't know until you get there. How many people think when I get there, everything changes. You wake up the next day and you're like, nothing changed. <laughs> right? yeah. It's not going to change your world. How, how do you feel? Since um, a lot of people also were asking, and I had Joey on, so you right now, you, you coach yourself, like you, you haven't been with Joey for a while. And so Joey- actually, I, as of last week, I no longer coach myself. I actually hired oh, a coach. Oh, shit. Yeah. Dude, this is perfect timing for the podcast, kind of. Yep. Who is this gentleman or gentle lady? Uh, gentleman is uh, Steve DeNovi. Um, he, his coaching team is PRS Performance. Um, but I guess just to, to get this out of the way, cause I know you're probably going to ask why I hired a coach. Um, yeah. it, it was getting to the point where, especially with everything I'm trying to do with my coaching. So like, you know, my roster's big and demands a lot of time. 
my coaches that work under me demand a lot of time and trying to plan stuff with, you know, what we're going to do as a team. Um, Cause we have a lot of different things that we're trying to do um, with trying to be more active posting on YouTube with trying to, um, you know, start this apparel line, essentially. I just have a lot of different things that I'm trying to do. And it got to the point where me programming for myself was like last on the docket. And it's like, if my goal is to win, then I can't have my programming be an afterthought. So I was like, okay, I trust very few people, but I trust this guy. And I, um, you know, I need somebody to prioritize my training because I am not prioritizing my training. Like when I go into the gym, I'm prioritizing it. But from a programming side of things, I would finish editing a YouTube video, fixing stuff on my website, answering clients, writing programs. And it's like, all right, I guess I'll write my program. Just like that, that can't be the mind behind programming for somebody who's trying to win. It just doesn't make any sense. I know what you mean where like you, you would tell yourself, this person is paying me. I got to get this to them on time. This is my business. I put my reputation behind it. So you, you do it first. Like me, I can wait because I can accept it myself. It's easier to tell myself, fuck it. I'll get, I'll get, I'll shoot me my squat day, the day of, I'll figure it out. But this other person's relying on me. So they're going to come first where, yeah, if you're getting swamped, here's another question. Um, when you were programming for yourself though, because it's, it's tough, you know, we're, we're passionate you know, when you're lifting and, and our internal beliefs for lifters are always going to be, I fucking got more. What's your top end? Puh, buddy. You, you know, you, you, it's, it's hard to be objective. It just yep. look at these numbers, look at the lifts. You're always going to think. Whereas, um, so when you're programming for yourself and this is where some people were saying, if you're coming into like competitions, if you weren't having the, the full potential, which you've seen in the gym, you just did. But um, with the 825 for sure. But that's where people would be like, what if someone took the reins for him? And it was this part of it as well. Or did you hear this where people are like, he should give someone the reins where not that obviously you can program because we'll get into you as a coach and you've, you've been killing like that, but just emotionally, someone could be like, I have no emotions set to this numbers. So when I tell you you're working a little too hard because you're going to be the guy who will work more hard than he needs to, not the guy who's going to be lazy. Some horses you whip, some horses you pull back on the reins you're probably going to be the horse you got to pull back on the reins, right? And yeah. um, how much of that is a factor as well, where someone's going to be like, there's no emotion attached to this. I, we're gonna, I'm just looking at, I know what RPE is going to be. I know what numbers is going to be. And you, as a lifter, because we do get emotionally attached or romanticized towards, towards numbers, even in training, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I would like to hit this dead by three weeks out. I would like to hit this number by, and sometimes you need someone else to be like, it's, oh, you know, is yeah. that a factor too you found where you're like, you know what? I can't, I can't be impartial with myself. I can be with other people. Uh, to some degree. I would say that I honestly became a lot more objective with my training in the last year of working with Joey. Um, because from, I guess the last year was, was after raw nationals, 2018 up until pretty much, you know, late summer, 2019, um, you know, we pretty heavily collaborated on programming like um you know there were a lot of recommendations that i made to my programming that we ended up implementing and worked and you know because of that i think i grew pretty objective and also joey is just 
try he joey is very laid back and i think that that is very positive for a lot of people that he works with because i think that it gets people to be more objective with their training and i mean joey knows me better than a lot of people like i am or have been a very neurotic lifter um in the sense that i just am impatient and i want to be where i want to be and and you know sometimes might put the uh Here's another phrase I'm invoking here. I'm not sure if I got it right. It's, it was the, what is it? The, uh, the cart before the horse or the buggy before the horse, something oh, like yeah. that. Oh yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. But, I know exactly what you mean. But um, no, I think in that last year, I definitely became a lot more objective with things. Uh, obviously was just, you know, have been very confident in my abilities as a coach. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that I had any issues from a, from a, an ob objectivity standpoint. Um, like I trusted what I would write um, and, 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 you know, things were going really well coaching myself. Um, I'll also say on the flip side of that, like, I think I'd be objective in the sense that, you know, if things weren't going well, I'm not going to tell myself like, you know, trust the process, trust the process unconditionally. Cause there really are some times where you just try something and it's just not working. Mm -hmm. Like there are, there are, there are blocks where, you know, I'll give, I'll give a good example. Like with my, with my deadlift, I've always responded really well to um, not super high volume in terms of the number of sets, but I've always responded well to higher rep sets. And <clears throat> anytime I've brought the rep count down um, just time and time again, my deadlift seems to regress. And, you know, when you go into a competition, especially if you don't have that, you know, that confidence in, in doing something that's kind of unconventional, you're going to, you're going to, you know, go back to what like would make sense, right? Like you, from a specificity standpoint, rep ranges should come down, whatever. Um, and I had meat preps under Joey, you know, by myself where like we would bring the rep ranges down and you'd see the deadlift start to like peter off. Right. So I can be objective in saying like, well, this isn't working. Right. So I think I've, I've become truly objective in both the positive and negative scenarios where I'll say that I've definitely gotten a little bit emotional in, in, you know, to go back to your question is one of the topics that, you know, I, I talked to, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I talked to Johnny Candido very frequently. Um, and one of the things that he said recently, and we've spoken about this before, but I think it's really stuck as of late is that he is, you know, he thinks that he is the most like focused zoned in lifter in his weight class right now. And I honestly don't disagree with that. Um, he like literally will never go off program, even if things are feeling really good um, and is more focused on making progress from block to the next block and seeing consistent progress across blocks. Like if I have a four week period of time where I'm training a certain way, the next block, if I rerun something similar, like, am I doing more? And I think having that mindset of like, having that block to block progression rather than trying to make a run at something crazy within a single block, just mm. because you're feeling good. Um, I think lends itself really well to, to long-term progress because, you know, one of the things that I'm guilty of and social media certainly, you know, facilitates it to a higher degree because you get to, you know, post stuff and, you know, people, people like to see big lifts, right? Like I, right. I we've seen it with all of us, all of us high level lifters. Um, where you'll have a block where things are just going crazy and you really take advantage of those days you feel good and you probably overshoot 
And then it's like training just doesn't look that good later on, right? It's like you, you do something crazy and then you just kind of go through this lull period. And then maybe later on you do something crazy and then you go through this lull period. Whereas like just stacking your chips like Johnny advocates for, or like Taylor, for, for example, like Taylor doesn't ever hit anything big in training because I mean, as you know, TSG is super rigid with their training methodology and like a lot of it is percentage based. So it's like, you're never really going to take advantage of a day you feel good. It's like, nope, head down, stick to the plan. And then on meet day, you'll do, right? And I think that is, that's one thing that I've definitely been guilty of as of late, where it's like the days that you feel really good, you try to like prove yourself um, instead of just kind of sticking to the plan and moving forward. And it's, and it's funny because, you know, one of the things Johnny did point out in a recent video is like, why do you even need to prove yourself? Like, why do you need to hit 650 at RPE 10 if you just hit 620 and it moved like you could hit 650? Like, are you not confident that that is there based on the speed? Like, there's no need to do something that you have already indicated that you can do. And it's all, it all stems from a place of, you know, insecurity or, or neuroticism to do something like that. And I think that it's a very valuable trait to just, you know, see that you have it and just leave it alone and just keep going. Um, like Ed, Ed Cohn has talked about that a bunch of times before where people will ask him like, what was the biggest, you know, contributor to your, to your progress, um, you know, as a lifter. And he was like, I never went off program. Huh. And I think that, that I, I swear, I've seen him say it in multiple interviews. Like I never went off program. If I wrote something out for 12 weeks, I stuck to it exactly. Even if I felt really good. He's like, I literally followed everything to a T and things always, you know, things always showed up and you build that over time. And I think that that is something that, especially in the age of, of RPE, which I, I love RPE. I use it in all of my programs. I think it's a fantastic tool, but I think that it, it makes it easier for lifters to justify, you know, marginal deviations from the plan. And then over time that just snowballs where you just like, you know, an eight becomes a nine and a nine becomes a 10. And right. Where it's like, Hey man, you were doing the same single over and over. And like, there's no way you're doing three of those. Right. Like, I mean, so you see that but here's some, here's what gets people. They're like, that wasn't my max. I could do more. You could do more weight. You couldn't do more reps. There is a difference between an RPE 10 max and an RPE 10 moved well, but you're not going to double that. And some people think this isn't, uh, do I rate this a one out of 10 on a scale of a single? It's, can you do another for real or two others? That wasn't your max, but that sure shit was a 10 because you're not doing more than that. Yeah. People get in this weird, funky well, I think, I think with powerlifters, some people like to use RPE as a rating of perceived exertion and not the way that I believe it's intended to be used, which is just 10 minus reps in reserve. Like I 100% am an RPE purist in the sense that your RPE should literally be a rating of how many reps you have left in the tank, not how it feels. Like right. it is literally, it's the rough way that we have, like it's RPE is just the rough way that we measure bar speed essentially right it's like it's a it accounts for fluctuation that percentage can't account for and it's a way that we essentially measure bar speed without having to measure bar speed and that is the that is the only way i treat it that's the way that i tell people i'm like if you're hitting at seven like you should have three reps left not like oh it felt easy like to no. know <laughs> we're trying to have some sort of like smart progression here and if we just bring like feelings into it as if that's supposed to be some sort of like 
objective measure or variable that we can incorporate into training. It just, it, like I said, it just leaves room for that type of emotional attachment that you're talking about. And that I think is underratedly destructive to like long-term progress. Like how many lifters, I mean, we see it all the time with, and, and we see it with high level lifters. Like how many lifters are just hitting the same fucking top single just months and months and months. And it's just like, you can't say your nervous system hasn't deviated. You, it's like, you can't tell me your nervous system hasn't deviated in the last four months. You can't tell me you've been peaked for four months straight and still hitting the same number. Everybody's nervous system has gone up and down the last four months. How are you still hitting the same thing the same every for so many weeks in a row for four months? You're right. Like it doesn't make, it scientifically doesn't make sense. Unless you're trying to tell me you're always peaked or you're always, you know, like it's just not the way usually the, the yeah. body works. Well, I mean, I, I am an advocate of taking singles pretty frequently, especially on, you know, especially on bench press. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking submaximal singles at all. I think that that is a very valuable tool that a lot of people could probably use uh, year round. But like you said, like if you're taking like these like grinder singles just every single week, it's just like you're just you're just running yourself into a wall. And the problem becomes that and, and I've seen this with myself, I've seen this with other lifters, and I just know that this is the mindset. It's like, if you have a top single every week, right? Let's say your coach programs you an RPE, and eight to so many people, as you see on social media, just means heavy single, right? <laughs> so your entire mindset and level of alertness that you bring into the gym is you take all of the, you know, if you have like this finite amount of like hype that you can divert into, you know, put divvy into all of your sessions, you're taking a weighted amount of that and you're putting it into that day that you hit the single, right? So it's like you go into the gym and every week you're putting all of your energy and focus into this one overshot single. And then you're not necessarily dogging the rest of your work, but it's like in the long term, like all that back down stuff that you're doing is what's going to lead to the bigger singles. Mm. Um, so it just, it's, it's, uh, it's a, I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a way to describe this, but it's just a, like you essentially just have it backwards if you're, if you're approaching training that way. Um, now I do think, you know, to get into some more technical stuff, I do think that some lighter lifters are quote unquote peaked year round. And I don't mean that they're necessarily at their top form, but like there is a correlation between like what percentage of your max you're capable of hitting on any given day and your body weight like heavier dudes will usually see some bigger super compensation effect going into a meet if they're peaking versus like a lighter weight lifter. Like there are so many, you know, 66 kilo and 74 kilo dudes who will go into a meet and hit exactly what they hit in training. And that's not saying that they didn't peak correctly. It's like, that is, that is just, that's how it works for them. Right. Like I see a lot of like older lifters talk about this where they like, you know, the old heads of powerlifting saying that like young kids don't know how to train and they only do it for the gym. And it's like, that's not really true. It's just that you guys used to periodize in a very linear fashion where you just didn't take those weights until meet day. It's like, you were probably capable of doing it in the gym, but you just didn't do it, which for, you know, for some people that might be a better strategy for some people it might be worse. Um, but I mean, for some lifters, it's like whatever amount of you know, fatigue that you accumulate from your optimal amount of volume, for some people that amount of fatigue is just not that much, right? Whereas like, if you're, you know, Ray Williams, you're not hitting 1,080, you know, once every four weeks, you're getting that opportunity maybe once a year. 
And, yeah. and you you also had mentioned about like Taylor, how you very rarely, like when I think of Taylor, I would have Brett Gibbs. Those guys, sometimes if I was to show you other 74s, other 83s, you might think a lot of other guys on social media would kick the shit out of those guys come platform just based off a of gym list. And then when Taylor shows up and puts together an 812 total and it's like, how the hell? If you just went off what he posted on Instagram, you would not think he was so light years ahead of the rest of the 74s. In terms of totals registered, you know, Taylor's 812 total registered is so much ahead of the other 74s, but his gym list was not in terms mm -hmm. of comparison. So you might like, I could see where for some people they it doesn't feel like it. You might look around and be like, well, if this guy's lifting this and this guy's lifting that, this is gonna be a tight race. Yep. I should up my game. I should lift more when it's stay in the pocket, young man. Just trust. Yeah. You know, or young lady or how, whatever the case may be. Trust is gonna be there. Brett's very disciplined as well. The older Brett gets the less of a fuck he gives about social media, you could tell. He posts more about fishing than he does about powerlifting. But it probably helps where he's like, I don't even know whatever the people are doing. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to put together a good day because he's pretty routinely putting together good days. But it is that where if you're not too worried about what you're posting and, and you know, you're just posting up numbers for actual training, you're not like, it's got to be a big max. This is my eight single. If I go less than this, I think the hardest part would be if you're coaches and you might have this trying to tell somebody, you got to take the weight off, man. You do, you're going, or a young lady, you're going too heavy too often. And you're yeah. like, never coming down. You're never, you're, you're mad. Your single is always the same every week. Are you afraid to yeah. come back down? You're not going to get weaker, yeah. right? As a matter of fact, you get weaker if you don't. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, to go back to your point about Taylor, I mean, Taylor has nothing to prove. You know, he's- This is true. He has absolutely nothing to prove. You know, there were points in time, you know, I'll say probably like a year and a half ago where I was like, oh, no, you know, this guy might be able to catch him. Like, no, <laughs> I, I 100%, like I, there are plenty of talented lifters in the 74s. Nobody is catching him. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Um, he's too far ahead. And I think the one thing that people are not talking about is not only is he ahead, but he's making progress faster than all of these younger guys. It's like, you can't be behind and be making progress at a slower rate and expect to beat him. Um, he's super confident. I think everybody knows that Taylor's super confident. Some people view that as a negative. Some people view that as a positive, but I think that it's, it lends itself incredibly well to his ability to perform because he is so confident that he does not have any ounce of insecurity to post lifts or try to you know step on the gas in training because every meet he comes in and does exactly what he does so um <clears throat> yeah i mean that's my that's my bit about about taylor um i mean with regards to to coaching and dealing with people you know overshooting and and you know wanting to always push it hard it's it's tough i think as of late i've been cracking down way more on it like you know as a coach you have to also realize that like they're paying you number one number two you know some people and and a lot of people aren't lifting to win world championships and there are you know moments where they need some sort of increase in confidence or ability to feel like they have you know an internal locus of control or momentum, whatever it might be, right? So there are times where a lifter wants to go for something and you're like, okay, fine, right? Like it, to them, it, it, that is their 
you know, the analogous to like, you know, winning a meet, let's say, right. Mm. It's like, that is, that's going to potentially drive further positive adaptations and outlook that is, you know, having a positive outlook on training along with the programming is what yields those long-term positive outcomes. So for some people at some points in time, it makes sense to just, you know, allow them to, to have fun within reason. Um, it's kind of like with the, you know, the last dance documentary you watched, like, you know, Rodman wanting to fucking go to Vegas or go to the WWE. And that's like, your, that's your Garrett fear. <laughs> no, Garrett, Garrett, that's not Garrett. I know. He's, he's crazy, that's not, no. Um, but I mean, it is, it is kind of, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause like, let's say you had like the Bill Belichick type coaching somebody like Dennis Rodman, like you'd never get the Dennis Rodman that Phil Jackson got if you didn't let him do things that on the surface you would think are, you know, counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Right. But that ended up working out for him. Um, yeah. But I would definitely say as of late, as a coach, I'm being much more like cracking the whip. Like, yeah, you need to be on your shit, like stop, you know, ego lifting. And, you know, I try, I try to explain things from a very, you know, I try to, I try to understand their perspective and, and explain things very, um, you know, completely, like make it clear that I understand their scope as well as my own and kind of present it like, Hey, I know that you want to prove to yourself that you can do this. And you've been, you know, having, you know, this has been like a productive block for you and you want to be able to feel confident. Like people have all these sorts of things going on in their lives and, you know, sometimes stuff like this helps, but um, it's just, it's always a balancing act of trying to be the coach, the human and the coach, you know, who wants to get the best performance out of people. You're, you are right. You know, and I'm going to agree with you that <clears throat> sometimes you could be working with somebody and you know, if I let this guy or girl hit this number, the positive momentum they're going to have going into the next block is going to be huge. Like, yeah. like if it's something they've been chasing and they're like, I think it's tonight. And you're like, Fuck, this is not on schedule, but if she squats this 400 or if he hits this, whatever, Yep. I know they're going to be, they're going to feel, I could, when I tell them you're strong enough, you know, you are, remember what you hit. I know it's going to mean it's going to pay huge dividends later. This is yep. a big moment for them. Kind of like you said, for some people, they get joyful in the freaking gym. Like they just want a competition. Sometimes it's bigger, you know what I mean? Depending on whatever they're going to hit. So yeah, there was a little flip-flop in there. Um, I want to ask you, some people are asking as well. And Joey was on here saying, um, since you guys left, you guys still talk because, and you guys still close. He was saying it's actually easier now because now you could talk like it's not business or it's not like the, the dynamics change. We can just shoot the shit if you see somebody. Yeah. And I remember, and I told Joey, um, cause I remember when you guys were like, it was you, uh, Joey hack and like, like, look at no teams ever stay the same no, in any sport period. This is life. Okay. It's not going to be like, we're going to grow old and our kids are going to play together. <laughs> we're going to live on the farm all together. Like yeah. that's not life. I get it. You, and you, you you branch off and you're building your own dynasty, which is awesome too. But um, it is though something where like, you remember when like the memes you would make and stuff like that, like in, in the back and forth you guys would have and the identity of it all. So people still, I think it's just one of, it's a part of powerlifting history now. There's like an era when, when like you guys were all together, right? And I yeah. know John has moved on for his own thing as well. But yep. so whenever I have either you on or Joe on, Joey on, that's what people ask is like, it's kind of like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, man. 
They're gonna ask <laughs> you. You still you still talk to Dre? It's they're, they're gonna ask Snoop. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same deal. Um, but so how often do you guys chat? You guys aren't in the same city or anything, but you guys no, still no. see each other here and there. Or? I mean, we. I mean, especially with COVID, we're definitely not seeing each other. But Fair. I mean. I think I've mentioned this before, either on this podcast or some other podcast. Like I was Joey's first online client ever. Mm, and, holy shit, dude! Yeah, you probably did the first time you're on this podcast like four years ago, though. Probably. But, wow, yeah. now it's even more crazy to hear. Yeah, so I was his first powerlifting client, and when we were working together, I would say we definitely had, you know, I feel and and you know maybe you can ask Joey, but I'm confident he'd say the same thing. Like I think we definitely had the closest personal relationship that he had with any of his clients, um, which is why it was difficult to leave. But I think that because that was there, it's, you know, remained like, we don't talk too much about, um, like, I don't really talk much about my training with him or anything like that, but like, we still talk just about nonsense pretty much every day. Like I, I, I really, really do. Oh, shit. I yeah, we, we probably speak every day, every other day at the, at the least. Um, and it's, it's, like I said, it's never, you know, any deeper serious conversations but like it just 90 percent of the time that we spoke even when we were working together was just just bullshitting right so that didn't really go anywhere it's just kind of like the perf- the the coach client percentage of the relationship obviously disappeared but <clears throat> just a lot of the you know back and forth just memes random conversations just you know yeah that 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 goofy relationship is is still there to some degree do do you feel like what do you get more from right now because your coaching is blowing up first off you got some you got some killers in in like the last couple years you guys really come up you know i know like team nori is is just murdering it um do you feel like what do you get more excited about at this point like in terms of accomplishment in terms of satisfaction like, how do you, how are you blossoming as a coach right now? So it's actually kind of, it's honestly backwards for me. And what I mean by that is I get more, I feel more enjoyment from coaching and feel like I'm doing more of a job with lifting. Holy like shit. I have a much more like, and that that's not to say that lifting has a negative connotation to it, but I feel much more like head down just do what the fuck you have to do. And like, you know, I'm on a mission with lifting, but with coaching, it's like, that's the thing that I genuinely enjoy, which I think for a lot of people is flip-flopped. But I think that this circumstance that I'm in lends itself to be me being better at both of those things versus it being the other way around. Mm. Right. Because, you know, I've, I spoke about this in one of my, uh, one of my more recent videos about, you know, what, what to look for when hiring a coach And I think it's, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, you grow up, right? Like you, you either become disengaged with powerlifting, you have a family, you, you know, get married, whatever, like you have all these obligations that just come with aging, right? And I think there are a lot of coaches now who only really still coach because they have an existing roster and it makes them money, right? And like that, that layer of like real personal investment like I, if you're coaching, you probably enjoy, or I would hope that you enjoy, you know, helping people get stronger and be better, right? Like that is just the trait you have to have to coach. But I think that we all can agree that there's like this additional 
just like layer of investment when you're just like truly passionate about the sport itself. Right. And I think that that layer for a lot of people dissipates over time. And it's, you know, it could be a result of the person just losing genuine interest in the sport or just a result of having, you know, other priorities in life. Um, but I think that because of, I guess, how I feel about things like it, it almost feels like that's not going to happen. Right. Because, because for the longest time, like, you know, I, you know, we've talked about how I went to MIT, I did engineering and just for years, I felt like this, you know, existential crisis, identity crisis of like, what the fuck am I going to do professionally? Because I hate what I'm doing. Right. Like, I just, I don't, I don't like tech. I don't like, like I, I tried, I literally tried everything that I could to try to feel like I was going down like the smart person path. Right. So it's just like, I get to do this now. This is fucking amazing. Like, I love it. Right. So like coming out of this, this, this point of my life where I felt like, you know, I had to just like force myself through some sort of professional endeavor to get to the point of like really being able to do what I love. It's just like, it doesn't feel like I'll ever get tired of, of putting my energy into it. Whereas like with lifting, like I love it. I love powerlifting. Like I love being an athlete more than anything. I'm super competitive, but that is where that like, you know, head down, like just grit your teeth and do the job mindset is. Whereas like with with coaching, I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I want to do more. I don't know. Once, once, I know you mean where once, um, if a coach starts losing the flair, they yeah. still have a, a big roster and a big name been in the game, but they're not doing the research anymore. They're not, the, the enthusiasm's gone. So when the new shit comes out, and there's always new shit, by the way, and there's always new things to read up on. There's always new videos to watch. There's always new studies to look at. Once you no longer care like that, you're in trouble. You're going to start falling behind and all, all of your clients are going to start falling behind with you. What's, what's your take on some of the social media stuff that people have been asking as well? And this is another question is um, how coaching gets disseminated through social media posts in short 60 second videos. And, and um, you know, obviously so like movement coaching and all the rest of it. How do you feel about some of this? Like some of it is taking a step back or some of it is misinformation or do you think like I, people are asking and wanted me to ask you? I'm not entirely sure I'm understanding your question. All like right, let me just, let, let, let me put it out there. There's social media channels that they're like, he doesn't like the social media channel, the content they put out. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can think of some people. I mean, All it right. just there there are lots of people who are really good at what they do and there are lots of people who aren't and i think that in in many aspects of life not just professionally uh social media gives everybody a platform even if they shouldn't have one <laughs> like that's just putting it bluntly um so yeah i mean there there are plenty of people out there who um you know put out information that gains traction that i don't necessarily agree with um, and there are pl certainly, you know, plenty of times where I think that it goes further than just not agreeing with it. Like there, there are things that I think are just bad information. And I think that, I think that there are other people who agree. Um, but I mean, when it comes to, you know, trying to sift through the, the 15 second or 60 second, um, you know, almost promotional type videos where people are, are trying to share some sort of information. Um, I feel like a good way to determine 
to determine what information is quality or not is looking who associates with that person and who that person associates with. Um, this was something I also talked about in my, you know, how to find a coach video, because I think that you can tell very quickly, like, you know, obviously using your own, you know, your own critical thinking about the content of videos. And if you don't understand things, doing more research, but like, if you're the average, you know, Instagram power lifter who doesn't really understand either the, the deeper workings of, of how to program or how to deal with injuries and all this other technical stuff that requires some sort of, you know, higher learning. Um, I think it's really easy to see what other professionals in that field think of that, excuse me, of that person and how and who that person associates with. Because like there are people that I trust in both the powerlifting industry as well as people I trust in just like general strength training, the, in, the strength training industry. And it's like you look at them. And then you see the entire, you know, circle of other people that you trust or other people that you're like, oh, that guy puts out good information. Like, I think that because social media is just like this grand unifier, you find out very quickly if somebody's legit or not, if like other reputable people are associating themselves with that person. Mm, yeah, fair enough, sir. And um, also want to ask you about, we have some questions about how there's been a new weight class that's going to start up uh, in the women's division, 76 kilo. Obviously, yep. Danny was on the on the podcast when I had the women of the 72s, and um, she made the announcement that she's going to be moving into the 76s. Yeah. How do you feel about this, the new weight class? Do you think long overdue? Do you think that was the proper positioning to put the new weight class? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've, I've looked at some of the data before just on, because people, you know, powerlifters, um, I would say out of all the strength sports are probably the most like intellectual I would say on average and there are a lot of people who power lift who like data um yeah. probably just by virtue of it being like the most quantifiable sport of all the strength sports um and like I've seen data on just like where women weigh in right and like the biggest cluster was in between that 72 to 84 gap that was just like you know where the where, where the, the weigh-ins were clustering around. And I think that the 72 to 84 is just such a big gap that it, I think it made sense to do. Um, I've, I really don't see any issue with, with adding that weight class. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really have any, too many other opinions on it. Like that. It just, it just makes sense from a, from a statistical standpoint to have hey, that weight class in there. Looking at the world championships from 2019, the most stacked division was the 72. So some people would look at that and say, well, why would you break up the 72 then? But then other people would say, no, but look at the depth. If you could break up any division because you want to make a new one, that would have to be the one because it was so deep. It's still, it's so strong. You could split it in two and still have your 70, uh, 69s like Kimberly Walford and, and whatever. And you could still have a bunch of 76s like Jessica Bittner will go to 76. And then Danny comes down. So they're both going to be strong. Whereas some people were like, Instead of looking at the numbers like you just said, look at the actual amount of lifters and how tight the quality was. If you split it in two, is it still healthy? That's the biggest question. Some people are like, there's a big gap between 84, 84 plus top end. Fair. But how many lifters are out there? Yeah, they're just so how close. There, there's, if there's, you throw one in there but just because there's a big gap in body weight. True. But are we talking you're appeasing three lifters 
and it's not very close and you didn't yeah i mean yeah i mean that that's i mean that's the big thing like i said it all it all comes down to where the population is is clustered around and i think that you know the two things working against the you know the jump to 72 to 84 making sense is one in on the men's side of things for example there's no gap that big in weight classes that light right like it goes 66 to 74 8 kilos 74 to 83 9 83 to 93 10 and it's not until you get to the 105 that there's a 12 kilo gap but men on average are heavier than women and that gap is only 12 kilos once you're all the way up there. So to have a 12 kilo gap all the way down there for women, when women are on average lighter than men, and the majority of women just fall in between those two classes, it's like women are going to have a harder time cutting a 72 than a man would have cutting a 72 just because of the biological differences. And then you have, if the girls fall in between and they want to be competitive, like shit, they're not going to gain 10 pounds of body weight just to like fucking compete in powerlifting. It would just be ridiculous. For sure. I remember I had on um, Jessica Bittner in the beginning of the lockdown. And this is before we knew about new weight classes. And people, like I, I, I was asking, because she has a tougher and tougher time to make 72 at the time. And then, um, so everyone's like, Are, is she going to go 84? Is she going to go 84? And she was like, look, it's really hard for me to make 72, but that's a 12 kilo jump. We're talking like 26 pounds of body weight I'm going to put on. That will change my life. She's like, that's going to change my, and she's got diabetes, by the way. She's like, that's yeah. not, she's like, I, I get it. We'll be like, go up to 84, but she's like, this is, I'm an in-betweener. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I go up to 84, I, I'm not going to fill out 84. Yeah. Like it's. Well, it's, to be fair, if there's anybody who could fill out a weight class, it would be her. Isn't I mean, it nuts? She's still got abs and she's walking around like 80 kilos. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. But I mean, I will say, you know, and again, this is another thing I, I keep going back to Johnny because I just I talk to Johnny probably aside from Daniela, I probably talk to Johnny more than anybody else on a daily basis. And like something that we talk about a ton is just like people are so quick to like tell people to move up weight classes. And it's just like. Like, it's just not it's just not healthy. Like, could you see he says it's all it's like, could you see yourself being this body weight for the rest of your life? Like, if not, you should really reconsider if this decision makes sense. Because mm. I know tons of people who are not competitive, but will bite the bullet and gain tons of body fat for the sake of like, just getting stronger. And it's like, it just, it just doesn't make sense from like a health standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so. it's an arbitrary sport. You're going to do it twice a year. Exactly. The and weight classes are arbitrary. It's like you're, you're, you're changing your health to fit some sort of like, literally the weight classes could be any other number but they're yeah. just chosen to be this like why would you do that to yourself it just like i said unless unless you're really vying for some competitive spot and that's you know that's everybody's life like it's a calculated risk to determine if the juice is worth the squeeze but like no i mean it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me so i'm i think it's a good idea that they that they change the weight classes there i and also of of probably jessica was the other girl who would be um, oh my God, thank God. And someone else would have been Danny who was flirting with the ADA of 72, but on the reverse end, it's like, look it, um, I would like to drop down, but again, kind of like Jessica, only the other way, 12 fucking kilo though. Like yeah. this is like a mass, this is like, you got to get, uh, this is life changing drop down yeah. where it, it was needed. How, how relieved was Danny when she found out, oh shit. I get a 76. Now I can make my drop. I wanted, but it yeah. doesn't have to be insane where I got to eat one almond and a piece of lettuce a day. <laughs> right? yeah. I, I got to hate my life. I don't, I don't want to speak 
too much for her, but I just know that, you know, I know one of the, I guess the dilemmas she was facing was like you said, she did want to move down, but I think that she had this pressure of, I need to be an 84 because this is like my weight class, right? Like right. this is, I set the standard for this weight class. I'm still contending to be number one in this weight class. And it's like, that's a tough position to be in because it's like, do I want to make a decision that I'm happy with long-term, like from a, from a, from like a health standpoint, from a, from a just personal satisfaction standpoint, or like, do I keep doing something competitively? So it's like, if, if you make that decision to go from 84 to 72, like, cool, you can make that decision, but you're not competing at 72 for like a year. Like it's going to take it's a easy. long, long time. Yeah. Get getting down, down there is oh. one thing, getting your strength back. Yeah, exactly. Like you can, you can diet, you can diet 24 pounds off, no problem. But it's like, you're, you're not, you're not maintaining your strength, losing all that weight. So I think, no. you know, I, you know, I'm happy for her that they, that they made this class. Cause I think she's, you know, it's been something that she's wanted to do for a while. Do you see, where would you fit another one for the men? If you could fit one for the men, if you, or, or if you had to split one up, I don't know that you need it. I really like, there's no, I don't really see a, uh, a, I don't see a demand for it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but like just what I've looked at, like there's no, like, for example, like we know Ray is going to win USAPL super heavyweights just year after year. Right. But there's no strong competition in the one twenties really. Like, I don't, I just think that there's no cluster up there. Like, for example, like we said with the women, you know, there's a strong, just aggregation of, of weigh-ins between that 72 to 84, but like the average man is between 83 and 93 kilos, right? Right. Like there's no demand to make another weight class somewhere. Um, like, and, this, and, and we're, and we're drug tested. So like the need for like a 308, like there is in the untested side, I just, I don't see it. There really just aren't that many people that size. Yeah. No, it's, it's when people come to me with, and this is when we had that last episode with the 72s um, and Danny, people were like, why wasn't it, or you could do this for the men, that for the women looking at purely the spread between the last weight class and the super heavies. Um, so it would have been 84, 84 plus and 120, 120 plus and looking at like anecdotal, well, I'm this size. And I'm in the middle, so I can't drop down to 84, 120, and I can't and, and I can't move up and compete. But it's like that's too anecdotal. It's like you said, where it's not where's the biggest spread, it's where's the most people. And if you just happen to be have an abnormal, uncommon body size, it's not the bigger picture. The bigger picture is where is the cluster of lifters? And is it okay? And I agree with you. I think right now the men's the problem would be you could dilute where it's like. The 72s was good enough. You could split it. We could have two weight classes, still healthy. We know this. We have superstars in 69 and superstars in 76. Um, and, and we still have like, it's competitive, be fun to watch. But if you start going in certain places where you're breaking up a weight class and it's like, what are we doing here? We're going to split up Sean and Russell. You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? You're yeah, like, like if there's, it wouldn't make sense. I don't, yeah, I don't see, I don't see any need for another male weight class. There's so many of them. Yeah, there's uh, enough. Yeah, exactly. What do you uh, think about in terms of this though? Our boy, because we, we had said Taylor's got nothing left to prove. The guy's a what, five, six time national champion, or this would have been yeah. six. Yeah. Um, back to back, like Drake, world champion. 
Um, would you think, of, and what he just hit, 812, actually his top five is an 83 and he weighed in 163 pounds, yep. 74 kilo. Do you think if you were him, would you be like, you know what? I think we said all we need to say at 74. Why don't I move up? Even if the kilos I put on my total aren't crazy substantial, but he's going to put on 10 fucking kilo, nine kilo body weight if he wants to fill it out. Would you, would you, if you were in his shoes, tell yourself, you know what? Everything has been said and move up. Or would you stay down there, do a reign of terror, hope Sheffield eventually happens and the rest of it eventually happens, but it's a lick and a promise because we need worlds again. We need people qualified all over again. You might stay there for another two years at the promise of maybe something coming together. Or would you be like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just, let me just, let me, let me have some fun here and see if I just go full send 83. Yeah. And just see what numbers I could throw around just for fun. Even if I come yeah. in second, oh my God. And I don't want to be, because you could be 65 years old and be like, if I didn't cut, if I just went full on, let's fucking see what I could throw and see if I could squat like some stupid numbers and yeah. bench. You know, you may never fully know unless you do it in your prime. What, what would you do? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm when you say what would I do? the literal meaning of that would be like, what would Sean Noriega do if he was Taylor Atwood? But right. me hype, making hypotheticals of what Taylor would do. I mean, I, there are so many things to, to consider. Like the first thing is like, I mean, I don't remember Taylor's exact age, but I know he's like almost mid thirties, I believe. I think he's and 31. When you're, what? I think he's around 31. Don't age him too much. Oh, okay. 31. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's married. He works like uh, or, oh, now he's in, in, in grad school. Um, or in, in, uh, he's in his MBA program. Um, I think one of the big things, like I've mentioned before, is just like, if you can't see yourself being this body weight long-term, like, are you really going to make that decision? I, mm. He seems like he's very comfortable being at that body weight. Like he has times of the year where he just, you know, he'll go on vacation, he'll eat some good food, he'll drink some good drinks. And like his body weight normalizes back to a very, very manageable weight. Like he was saying this this past meet was the first time he's cut weight and it was like four measly pounds, right? Like that's, that's an easy job to do. So from like a comfort standpoint, it's like, why am I going to like make myself physically uncomfortable for the sport? Now, in the event that you do want to do that, I mean, I would imagine, you know, especially with the progress he's making that a caloric surplus would yield even more of it. I personally would love to see him move up um, because you know, like I said, I don't think anybody is catching him in the in the 74s. Um, and I think that he would very quickly be a threat in the 83s. Um, but it's, uh, what was I going to say here? Losing my train of thought now. Um, well, it is, it's, it's essentially nine times out of 10, like you said earlier, in terms of don't Wait, change your I, okay, I okay, okay, you're back. No, you're sorry. Back, I remember, I remember what I was going to say. I think that with Taylor, and again, I, I've, I have not spoken to him about this specifically, but he does not seem like the kind of guy who is going to move up and be okay with taking second. Mm. Right? Like you said, like, oh, let me see what I can hit even if I take second. Like I, I have, like I said, I haven't spoken to him about this, but if Taylor's watching, I'm sure he will agree. Like he's not thinking about second place anything. Right. And, and I, and I do definitely think that he would be, you know, very quickly in contention uh, as an 83, but I think that, you know, um, he would have to feel like, you know, it's something that he could, he could win. Um, I think that from, 
honestly, I would imagine the biggest contributor would just be like, do I want to like do this to myself physically? Cause like when you're, when you're, you know, you know, like you said, 31, but you know, if you're 31 and you want to move up a weight class, like you're not going to compete up a weight class at 170 or 173, right? Like from a competitive standpoint, it would make sense to gain all that weight, but like at what cost do you gain all that weight? Um, I mean, another thing is like what you mentioned about Sheffield, right? Like from a, if the landscape of powerlifting is moving more toward prize money and, you know, bonuses for breaking records and milestones, like it just wouldn't make sense for him to move up at all. 74, he's, you know, not contested in any way. Um, 11 times body weight. Like there are just too many things that if this sport were to become lucrative in any way, um, which it looks like it will to some degree, but also just from like lucrative from an opportunity standpoint, um, it seems like it would just be almost foolish to move up in that regard. Mm. I, I agree 100% with that. If this, if we get back on track with like, we don't know what 2021 is going to bring, so it's tough, but let's just assume things get back on track. Worlds happens or nationals happens, however the hell this is all going to work, when nationals happens. Do you know, is, is nationals going to happen before? Oh, good, good question. I figured you were going to ask me about this. So okay. I, uh, I don't know anything for certain, as I don't think anybody knows anything for certain, but the rumors I've been hearing, well, the first rumor that I heard a while back was that the Arnold would be a qualifier for Worlds. Now, I think that that has since been changed, and the Arnold is currently slated for March, but in the event that it can't happen, I think the committee would want to move it to sometime in the summer. But then that would conflict with nationals because it's looking like they want to host nationals in the summer before Worlds so that they can have some sort of nomination process. Because, you know, I think their last ditch effort is like, fuck, if nationals can't happen and we get some sort of COVID second wave, then we'll just use the previous year's nominations. But since the previous year's nominations will be so old, I'm sure spots mm. will open up and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think they'll, they would use like the hometown showdown, uh, just like the rankings from people's local meets as a way to pick alternates, which I think is a reasonable thing to do. Cause use like I said earlier on in the podcast, like the playing field is just constantly moving the, the, the needle forward. Um, so using recent performances is probably the best way to do it. Um, but from what I'm hearing, like nationals might happen in June, July, like it used to prior to 2015. Um, and then that would be the, you know, the, the qualifier for worlds in October. But then, you know, the big thing with the U S is like, I don't really think anybody wants to go to Belarus. Like, I think there are some lifters who like are, um, you know, who never got a shot to compete at the world stage who are like, I'll go if it's, I don't care where it is. Like I'll go. But I think there are, there are a lot of people who are, are not wanting to go back to Belarus because of the last incident, as well as like their, their whole political situation over there. Not that ours is doing too great here either, but <laughs> they're, the, the, the situation in Belarus right now is, is crazy. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I personally am of the same persuasion as, as Johnny again that the USAPL could just totally leave the IPF and just do their own thing. They would have so much more freedom to, they wouldn't have to pay the IPF so they could give away more money, or at least hopefully that's what they would do. 
um, and they could just put on better meats. Like the fact that the big thing for me that like shows that they don't accept the direction that the USAPL wants to go in um, was when was when Gaston banned Gino. Like to me, that was like, like that's the sign that like, okay, we don't, we want you to assimilate with our like, like our super serious, like powerlifting is not fun mindset or just like, you know, fuck off. Um, Here's the one thing with that though. Uh, not with the Gino thing, but with the, um, like, like, yeah, the, I, the IPF wants worlds to look like the Olympics, like you're watching Olympics as opposed to, uh, you know, like a UFC. If yeah. That's a, kind of a comparison, if that makes sense. But um, uh, in terms of if the USAPL, the USAPL is what it is because right now lifters join and then they progress nationals and then they progress to the IPF world championships. And the USAPL has that and is the succession towards a world championships and competing there. And even if you never lift at the IPF worlds and I get it, one percenters are going to go make it to the IPF worlds. Being the association is massive. Other like Olympic sports enjoy that, even though you're never going to make it to the Olympics. If you're an Olympic sport, the trickle down effect is big, right? And just the hope and dream of it all, whatever. Yeah, but before. we don't, but the difference is we don't have that state sponsorship, right? Like, for Olympic sports, you have Olympic training centers, you have Olympic coaches, you get, you know, deals from mainstream companies, you have the country, you know, and the organizations paying for you to fly for you to have your like, we don't have that. And I, I totally agree with you, like having that, the fact that the USAPL feeds into the IPF and people get an opportunity to represent their country, like, that is a big incentive for for people. But it's just to me, it's not it's not the same. Um, what if what if though the USAPL leaves and initially obviously you're still the same size, but a new Fed will automatically emerge, be associated. And as time goes, when new lifters come in and they're picking, and this one's going to the is associated with the IPF Worlds IOC recognition or whatever the hell, and they start and they're gonna pick, you might have the USAPL shrinking in in significance and size and the new Fed growing because of that association. And, and even um, like sponsors and whatnot, due to being associated with the IPF, it's it, a lot of things change, right? A lot of things will change with a certain association. So when you think about, if you were to say, if we break off and nothing changes, our, our membership doesn't shrink, our sponsorship money doesn't shrink, the significance of our stream doesn't shrink, our association with the Arnold and everything never changes. If nothing was to change, I get it. But then usually if you break off, there will be, things will change, especially over time when new people enter and new federations come, new associations come. And then there will be repercussions like that where the USAPL, you can't have it all, right? You can't have both. But, but let me ask you, what incentives would there be in this new Fed that would lead a migration from the USAPL to that Fed? Like if, if we are understanding that the USAPL and the growth of the USAPL and drug-tested powerlifting in general has been the result of social media and putting on productions, and the IPF is not on board with that, what is it about this hypothetical new federation that would draw new members? Like, I just, I don't see how they would gain traction among new drug-tested athletes at any rate higher than, than like what we're doing in the USAPL now. Like, I think people would, I, I think the consensus is that 
you know, the, the USAPL going this promotional route with the big screens and, and, and having, you know, a ton of videographers and making it like a production is a positive and is driving the sport forward. And I think the IPF does not have that same uh, belief, at least from what I've seen. So what about a hypothetical new Fed? What would they be able to offer that's different? Like, why would things change when this you could do? Evolves? You could have the same, um, you know, like in terms of how the nationals looks, et cetera. It won't be like, like even right now, the IPF isn't going to say like, you got to take away the big, the big, uh, what do you call those big screens in the back and stuff like yeah. that. Like, it won't be anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it, or, or maybe, I don't know. I, I don't see the IPF going that route. Um, saying like your nationals has to look this way and it's so strict to that effect. Um, I do, I know the thing with Gino, but that might not be, that might not be like across the board. That means we want your, your big screens in the back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock. It might not be that there might be there. There's always more to the story in background stuff, whatever. Right. So you don't want to read into it too much. Kind of like we were saying with, with people reading into your situation earlier the, when we topped off the podcast. Yeah. It's never fully. And then um, if you fill in blanks and be like, this means that. Yeah. You know, no, they no, might, no. it might not all. And then, um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I don't think that, do you think the USAPL would leave? Probably not anytime soon. Um, no. I don't, I don't, I don't foresee it, but I, I, I don't know. I think like I've mentioned, like this sport has grown extensively almost entirely because of social media. Um, and I think that more freedom to produce content is a positive for the sport. And I think that that is a, a, uh, I think that's a hurdle that I think the USAPL as a whole has tried to overcome that the umbrella organization, uh, you know, has not, has not conceded to as much, I guess, is the way. It, it, it's one of those deals where, yeah, the, the higher up you go, the more people you got to work with, the more like, that's just, that's probably with everything, right? Yeah. Everything you get involved with, it's like, I want to do this. But I also have to be on side with this. And yep. then the, the pros and cons of being on side with this affiliation, et cetera. And you start weighing things out and blah, blah, blah. I had on um, Larry on the podcast. It's the first podcast he ever did. And um, we had some good questions on. Oh, Mally? Yeah. I should have him on again at some point. Because we fired, we fired off some good questions. A lot of it at the time, though, because of the timing, was more political sense. Yeah. And, um, and my man took every single question. He didn't, I asked him, what do you, what are your expectations here? Um, when you come on this, cause he's never, he had never done a podcast before. And he mm -hmm. came on, I'm like, what are you thinking here? Cause I don't think either one of us want an interview that's prohibited in terms of what we touch up on to an extent, to an extent, I get it. I'm not trying to freaking you know, ambush somebody with some shit. But to another extent, neither one of us want this to come off as like some kind of weird, it's clear we're lobbing soft ones down the middle and, and everyone's like, what's going on here? Well, it doesn't even, we accomplished nothing here. And he said straight up, like there were some topics that were some heavy topics. And he's like, he hit every single one of them. Even yeah, stuff they were going to court for. They were, they were in court and stuff. And he's like, 
I don't know if I should be saying this, but, and then he went ahead and said it. He goes, no, I mean, he's, a smart, he's a smart dude. <laughs> he let it, he's super smart. Yeah. Um, that's another thing where, uh, I forget his, his day job where he, what is it again? He works with uh, witnesses or something like that. Like he's very- I have good. no idea what his day job is. I just know that he's, he was a lawyer, I believe, right? Right, something to that effect. I don't want to butcher it, but he is going to nine times out of 10 be the smartest guy in the room. So if, when you come to him, and if you think you are going to ambush him with some shit or pull a fastball or whatever, you're not going to get the drop on him if you want to sit down and have this these conversations. Like yeah. He's going to be very difficult. So uh, yeah, hats off. I was very impressed talking to him. But uh, but anyways, he I, I bring that because he addressed some of the things you just brought up as well. And it no, is. I mean, that's what that's what I'm saying. I think in in recent years, probably around like 2018, was when people were, I guess, the end of people feeling like, what gives? Like, you know, the USAPL doesn't want to move forward with the direction that, you know, social media is taking powerlifting. But I think that since then, they've done like a great job of of trying to, like. like I said, integrate the sport more with media and make big productions out of everything. And I think it's worked out really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, we got some freaks coming up. I don't want to let you go without talking quickly about some of the people you're, you're training. Um, Alex, your boy, 17 years old, 83 kilo, just put up a 705, which Mm -hmm. is nuts. So who are some of the people that we got to look out for on team Noriega? Um, And oh, actually, are you training your successor? Do you think you are training someone who's going to beat everything you've ever done? I'd like to say no. It's tough because it's like you want to see your lifters obviously do the best that they can. But then at the same time, you're like, you're not beating me. (laughs) You could do Um, 820 and that's it. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Um, I I would like to see them. I'll say I'd like to see them continue to progress at the fastest rate that they can. But I would also like to see me progress at the fastest rate that I can. And hopefully that my rate keeps me ahead of their rate. That's you're only 24. Like it would be different if you were like 34 or whatever. But at 24, you're like, man, I'm not ready to hand a baton. No. Let's no, not talk that yet. You just got more. out of the juniors, for God's sake. Yep. No, I got more to go. But um, no, I mean, Alex is he's super strong. He uh, I mean, he's played soccer all of his life, and I think he's playing D1 soccer now. Um, like this was the last meet he was, he was able to do before starting a soccer season, but he's still training through it. Um, no, I mean, super talented kid. I think that he'll probably, the way things are looking with my, with my lifters right now, you know, hopefully if nationals, whenever nationals happens, I'll have three 83s with me in prime time that I coach, which would be cool, which would be really cool. Um, no, I mean, everybody, I have, I have a ton of strong lifters right now. Um, Alex, obviously super young. He's, you know, he's not at the top yet, but he's literally 17 years old has, you know, just graduated high school not too long ago. Um, Cole Wagner in the 93s. I know you post him a bunch, yeah. super strong squat. He'll be competing in three weeks or I guess almost two weeks now, cause it'll be the 14th of November. Um, Matt Aramoni just competed and very casually set the all-time world record deadlift at Holy 148. Shit. Did I post that? I don't know. Wait um, a minute. I think I did. Uh, you, you know, I know people's Instagrams more than I know the full names. Lil like, Tota Snur. Snur. Yeah, I, I, I think I did post that. Let, yeah. I'll double check. I'll make sure. Yeah. So he, he went in, uh, I mean, all training cycle. We, I mean, he had pulled 7-11 in the gym. 
that was his plan third. He took 678 on the second. It flew. And he was like, yeah, I set the record. I'm just, I'm tired. I'll pass on my third. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> it was so bad, but, you know, it's tough because it's like you're mad because they didn't just do what they were supposed to do. But like, it literally is the heaviest deadlift in that weight class, regardless of drugs, uh, you know, just all time so it's like yeah you're right no i do know the the lift you're talking about yeah because he's normally uscpl went yep. on he's like i want to try what i could do on the whippy bar yeah exactly. he's an absolutely phenomenal deadlift yeah insane what he does he's like a freaking ant man it, how many times his body weight he lifts is insane yep. so you have him um david chan is one of my 83s um really strong deadlift really strong squat like next time he competes he'll be pulling He'll definitely pull over seven. He'll definitely squat around 300. Mm. Uh, bench bench needs some work, but he'll, he's uh, he's a good one. What Who else do we have? Daniela, of course. I can't say enough about her. I'm excited to see her at 76. That'll be really cool. Um, when do you think we'll see that, by the way? Uh, uh, 76 I don't know. debut. I don't know. Nothing on schedule yet? No, okay. nothing on schedule. I feel like she's going to want to find like a meet that she's like, excited to go to like i don't think she's gonna just roll into a local meet like three months from now or something like that Would, is um, she gonna have to like qualify for 76 how, if it's like a nationals like how i have no idea how that works because i know that like this past year for example when we were supposed to have nats because of covid they were like fuck it everybody can go right um so i don't know what's gonna happen this coming year i mean she could i think just walk in on a random Saturday and just treat it like a training day and, you know, qualify for prime time, no problem. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. We haven't discussed when she wants to compete, but it is cool that she's more, um, she seems like re, you know, reinvigorated to get back on the platform, which is cool. Um, what about Garrett fear? When's the next time we're going to see our boy Garrett on the platform? Uh, very soon. I don't, I don't remember if he said it on social media, he might have, but he's competing pretty soon, like in a few weeks. What's he like to work with, sir? Can I say something? Every time I have Garrett on the podcast, I don't know what the shit is because he does other podcasts. But when he comes on King of Lifts, the freaking reception is nutso, man. The, the amount of DMs I get and the amount of people like reposting or whatever, it's something, something special that when Garrett comes on, what is he like to work with? He's such a character. He's a pain. He's a pain in the ass, dude. <laughs> It'd be so disappointing if you if it was just like, no, Joe Nun Five, uh, you know. Yeah, he's great. He follows the program all the time. He's no, he's he's good, but he's definitely a pain. Like he'll he'll uh I'm trying to think of some some funny stories, but like, no, I mean he'll he'll if he's feeling good, he'll hit something and then I'll get a message after he's done it and he'll be like, sorry. Um <laughs> Or like the other day, I remember he was like, I feel really congested. I'm not going to squat. And I'm like, are you really being a bitch right now? He's like, all right, fuck you. I'll squat. <laughs> you got to pull it out. It's one of those. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You got to know some guys you can do this with some that guys you can't. Yeah, exactly. And I think that goes back to like the the whole, you know, what we were talking about balancing with, with coaching um, and just trying to find a balance between, you know, what what kind of communication an athlete is receptive to like you know there are some athletes you can just be like rough with mm. and it and it they receive it totally fine and there are others you can't be right like i'm not gonna it, in the event that one of my you know female 72s is like i don't really feel good today i'm not gonna be like stop being a bitch Go fucking live. Being a, you're being a little bitch right now <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably would. Uh, I would end up on some 
some uh, some forum. Sean Riega exposed the true coach that he is or something like that. Right. Um, no, but I mean, yeah, with, I mean, Garrett and I are good friends. We have a good relationship. He's, I mean, you know him, he has no filter. He'll say whatever he's thinking to your face and, and he gladly accepts the reciprocation of it. So he, uh, man, the guy came on talking Well, first off, he can't say enough good things about you. He, he freaking is all in when it comes to your coaching. Um, and if you heard the podcast, like, you know, that both times, and then he was saying when he came on, he wants to host a roast battle. It wants to get roasted by people and then he'll roast them back. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like dude, like, what are you talking? Cause I asked him about like the social media beast and shit like this and like getting into it with people. I'm like, dude, you're always in something like you, you, you're like fucking Tupac in the nineties. Like so- someone's going to shoot you, dude. And he's like, um, he's, he's a mess, he, man. He, he's like, do you know how many competitions if I showed up and I'm, I'm getting jumped people who told me I'm getting jumped people. I'm like, really? He goes, Oh yeah, no, this is my life. And I'm like, what, what do you think about it? He's like, I fight it. It is what it is. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, he's crazy. I, I, I can't, uh, I'm not responsible for his, his actions. <laughs> but he definitely, dude, he loves to, like, I remember at, at Raw Nationals in 2019, because Ed Cohn was there. And uh, I think both of them had been like drinking. I forget which night it was, but it was just like, you know, it was after, after a primetime session had finished up and everybody was just hanging out. And Ed, and Garrett were just going back and forth roasting each other. And I think at one point, Ed was just like, yeah, something, something about how you missed that 800 pound deadlift. And then Garrett was like, how about, how about you missing a neck, you geriatric fuck? <laughs> and I was just like, this is hysterical. He's literally talking to this, you know, this veteran of powerlifting. He just, he has no- uh no about you missing a neck? Jesus, well, man, that's pretty good, Tom. It is yeah. true. That is also true. Yeah, you sounded like um, Joe Stanek talking about Ricky Cho when I had Joe on, and he's like, "I am not responsible for what that man says on social media." Joe, he's like, yeah. "My man does." He's a. He's I'm a not a babysitter. Guy. He's a grown man. That's right. He's actually is he older than you? He might Bro, even be. He's a, younger than me. Is it, you're close to the same age though, because you're 24. He's you 23. Okay, I knew you're close. I knew you were within yeah, yeah. a year. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you're like a father figure at 24. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you feel like when he's getting into it, are you like, ah, shit. Do you ever feel, I've never been in this position where I get through association because he is a Nori boy. He's got hashtag, all your hashtags on it. And then no, when people fire at him, they might sometimes fire at you because he's getting into it. I've had, an, I'm not going to go into details, but I have had an incident, not with Garrett, but with another lifter where they did get into something with somebody and it ended up becoming a way bigger thing than it needed to be. And it mm. made its way back to me. And I just had to be like, I am not his babysitter. Like this is not a child. Mm. Um, but I definitely do. I did have a, a talk with that person and was like, listen, man, like I, I get that you're your own person, but like you are part of the team. And like, I am, I'm a very incendiary opinionated person so like when when i draw the line it's that line was probably drawn for most people like 10 seconds (laughs) right so like when garrett you know when garrett gets into it with some people you know he he probably most of the time should keep his mouth shut but i've never seen a scenario where i'm just like all right like i need to because it's just it's just stupid powerlifting banter like at that point i really don't i don't care like it's just i'll see it and i'll be like oh here he fucking goes again but it's never you know Garrett's gonna be Garrett. It is. Um, you're right. Like it's 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 a weird. 
it's a weird thing because somebody's literally they, they could have your brand all over them and yep. and uh, but on the on the flip side it isn't the same as you're the Dallas Cowboys and one of your players is doing something and as the owner or coach of that team you talk to them it's different because they're paying you so it's it's freaking weird so you're like <laughs> I know you mean we're like fuck man I don't want to have these conversations I'm just trying you know it's not the same and if people try to draw this like you should say something it's like nah maybe not though yeah you know, we're, we're all we're all adults here but um it's weird that p- social media and powerlifting this is where we're at sometimes yep no for I, sure. I love how you said hey man i got a big mouth myself so if i gotta tell you slow it down we got problems yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's like the alcoholic at the bar who's like haven't you drank enough yeah and it, was, and it was it was a scenario where like he he started arguing back with me and was just like well this should have never gotten escalated i'm like dude i agree with you but like you knew exactly what you were doing and you knew that it was going to and it was just like you know that the other person was in the wrong but like you just kept instigating and instigating and i'm just like i don't want to have to deal with this so can you please just like just stop yeah. It's like we both know where this is going. Yeah. We we don't need to see the end of this movie. Exactly. Um, so anyone listening, are you do you have room for more athletes? Or are you or how would they get a hold of you if if they're interested? Dude, right now uh, I'm in a very interesting spot. So the short answer really for me is no. Um I'm my roster right now is is riding at or just a little under the capacity that I want it to be at. Um, and I'm at the point where I'm just like, I'm just handpicking. Like I had a lifter reach out to me very recently who you've posted on your, on your page numerous times who I'm hopefully going to be starting to work with soon, but that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Like I'm not, I'm, I've had so many athletes over the years that I have developed and, 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 and gotten to the point of being, you know, fantastic lifters. But at this point I'm, I'm not looking to like, you know, take like I dude I can't tell you how many dms I get from like 17 18 year old kids like can you coach me and it's just like I'm not I can't do that I don't have I can't give you my best if I take you on it just wouldn't work so me personally no um my coaches are yes but um it's also going to be very selective for example um I had like a pre-registration for working with our coaches um a couple months ago and within the first 24 hours, so I had set it at a 100 person cap, right? I had it at 100 person cap or a two week deadline before the jot form closed. We got to the 100 person cap in less than 24 hours. <laughs> so when we got to that point, we all sat down and we're like, you three can't even take on a hundred between the three of you, right? Like that would, that would be ridiculous. Like you guys are going to start with what, because the thing is like, you know, it's not even just what I want. Like it's what they want, right? They're, they don't want to just indiscriminately take on a huge roster and then not have the freedom to take on lifters they're excited to work with. So they all, you know, from that 100, we narrowed it down to the point where like one of them's working with 25 and one of them's working with 15 and the other's working with 10, right? And then even recently, like now that I have my website set up, which is teamnori.com, people can send inquiries through there. The website's been up two weeks and I've gotten another 70. And it's just like, I, I can't, none of us can handle that volume. So, I mean, at this point, um, you know, there, if somebody inquires, um, do not expect that you're going to get paired with me. I, I, like I said, really do not have space or the desire to take on more athletes right now. Um, 
but even with, you know, with my coaches, it's, it's just going to be highly selective because they are comfortable with their roster sizes right now and are only really going to take on people that they're, you know, excited to work with. So basically, like you said, with that one kid who I I reposted, it's like, you get reposted on King of Lifts. I see you. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been been following, I've been following him as a lifter for a while, but like, that's just from my own, own personal standpoint like i've i've always prided myself on having developed my top level athletes like all of my top people pretty much started with me but at this point like i'm focused on them so i want to refine other people like i don't want like i'm done with you know taking on 17 18 year olds who are just like I started powerlifting six months ago. Like, like I'm past, I just, I can't do it. And they, and they might, it might be a fad. They're done powerlifting 18 months from there. And you're like, well, yeah, I've had, dude, I've, <laughs> I've had people that I, that I, you know, I don't necessarily regret taking them on, but like, I've had people in the past year or so who, you know, they reach out and they're like, I'm eight weeks out from a meet. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm going to be very clear here. Like if I take you on for this meat prep, I'm not doing this one and done shit. Like I don't, prep people for a meet and then they disappear like I want to work with and develop an athlete I'm like yeah, yeah yeah and then the meet's over and they're like oh I treat can't you, afford it anymore I'm like treat bro, you like a whore bro bro don't get treat you. out of here yeah exactly I'm nobody's whore exactly. don't you ever treat me like that one again <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean that's that's how it is like I want you know I've and I've I think I've alluded to this before but I guess haven't probably outright said it but like I'm a very intense person and I've worked with and still work with a ton of athletes who are on all different levels from both like a competitive level and just both like a, what this sport means to me level. But like, now that I'm established, I have my roster that I love working with. Like I have athletes that I dedicate all my energy toward. Like if you come to me, like I want like gamers, I don't Mm -hmm. want people who are just getting into it. I don't want people who are like, eh, about the sport and they might fizzle out within a year. Like I want people who are going to be, you know, the next insert name here. Hmm. Like Alex Sider. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that kid works crazy hard. So it's, you know, those are the kind of people. And it's always, it's always the ex-athletes, man. You play a sport, you probably, you know, you probably have another layer of, of intensity in there versus the people who haven't, but. What do you attribute it to that you are at a point now where your brand is so strong, where other people are, are starving because COVID's ravishing the ranks. There's not a lot of competitions. Gyms are closing and you got so much food. It's spilling off your plate and, and your boys are eating off it and it's falling off their plates. What do you attribute that to, to the strength of your brand and how many people are coming to you for coaching? Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say to your point about people starving i mean when you when you first start off in anything like you gotta you have to pay your dues like just you're not going to succeed from the beginning um but i feel like a lot of i honestly have seen powerlifting coaches get more lifters during this time frame like a lot of people that i've spoken to um and even when it was back in like april when it was like only really a month into the whole lockdown thing and people had no idea where things were going like I feel like everybody was getting more inquiries than ever because people were scrambling, setting up home gyms, setting up those like, you know, wooden uprights in the bucket of cement. Um, I feel like people were getting a ton of inquiries. So I don't know if, you know, I don't think that any of like established coaches are, are, you know, quote unquote 
starving, but I guess, I don't know. I, I've talked about this before where like when I first came into powerlifting coaching in 2015, I was 18 years old and being an 18 year old, I felt like the young kid in the group. Like I'd be in the back room and then, you know, in the warm up room or like, you know, 2016 comes around now, prime time's a thing and I'm in the back room during prime time. And you almost have this like kind of imposter syndrome slash this feel this need to like prove yourself and that like you're more capable than just being, you know, a young kid, right? Because, you know, everybody thinks when you're young, you don't know as much. Um, but I don't know. I mean, my personality wise, as well as my, as well as my, you know, upbringing, I've just always, you know, like I said earlier, you know, want to get a job done and, and won't stop till it is, but also like, I think the, the educational experience that I've had has lent itself to like the second that you stop learning or the second you stop wanting to learn more, you're in trouble. Mm. Um, like I've always, I've always done, you know, always had a, a concerted effort to like learn from as many different people as possible. Like I'll get inquiries sometimes and I'll, and I'll get on a call and somebody will ask about like uh, what my training philosophy is or like one of those like vague questions that's not really a good question and it's just like I don't know if I have a concrete answer to that because like there really are so many people that I've taken from like I I've everybody that I've come in contact with who I view as like a source of information whether it's a mentor or just like a you know a fellow coach or somebody on my level like I I'm always going to be confident in what I know but I always feel like there's something to learn from somebody else and because of that, I've just, I've, I've reached out to so many different people, learned from so many people. And I'll just, I'll take the, the nugget of knowledge from each person and just like integrate that into my own model. And I think that probably what's yielded the most success is, is a combination of, of always trying to evolve like my training model. Um, Cause like you're, there's no, there's no right model, right? Like you never have you know, a, an accurate understanding of everything. Um, because, you know, I guess, I mean, with powerlifting, it's not profound. It's not like theoretical physics or, or, you know, chemistry or anything, but like, you know, how it was when you took science classes, right? Like there are rules, but then there are exceptions to the rules. And the reality is, is there's no real exceptions to the rules. It's just that your rules are an incomplete representation of what the reality actually is. So those exceptions are encompassed by better versions of your rules. Hmm. right and it's like when you can get to the point where you realize like I just constantly need to keep growing and learning more and you understand that that is necessary for you to keep growing I think that that's a good place to be in um that paired with just like I've just always just been myself like I think I've always spoken my mind and I've honestly never I have not lost a client because of my personality or beliefs. And I think the reason for that is it's always out there. So if people come to me, they know what they're getting as a person, right? Like I, I post, especially like with this election coming up, right? Like I'm, I make very clear my opinions about political candidates, political issues, the social climate, all this sort of stuff. Like I, I put that all out there. And like, I'm sure that I have, and I mean, I know, that I have clients who, who disagree with me on, on certain topics, but 
I've never had anybody just be like blindsided and be like, whoa, he believes that he's a terrible person. Like I'm going to, I'm going to leave him as a coach. Like people who I work with, I, I, I know that coaching and, and a, client, a coach client, and I know this is kind of a, a tangent here, but like, I know that the coach client relationship is professional, but I also would much rather work with people that like, I just enjoy and think that are like good, open-minded people that I can have conversations with, even if I disagree with them. Cause like I said, I know that I have lifters who I don't agree with on issues that are unrelated to powerlifting. And they see that I have conflicting opinions about things, but like, we've always had such a strong, like through me being more genuine, we develop a personal relationship on top of the professional one. And it's like, okay, we might not agree on this, but like, Sean, you've done all this for me, or we've discussed this before. And like, you know, me as a person, we are good friends at this point. Um, and I think that that has like, that has established the brand because the brand is not just, you know, the brand is not your lifters numbers, right? Like there's more meaning behind it. There's like values, there's stories, there's personalities behind it. And I think that because I've been so clear about who I am, as well as like what kind of lifters and team I want to have, I think that that gives people a clear understanding of what they are getting into, right? Cause like when you're looking for a coach, like there are some people out there who are just looking for like the cheapest coach, right? Like they're just looking for these like dumb, you know, not necessarily dumb. Cause obviously people have, you know, financials that they need to, to take care of. And it can't be, it would be irresponsible to try to pay for something you can't afford. But I think that when somebody gives you all the context that you need, it kind of like opens your eyes. Like, yeah, that is definitely who I want to work with or no, I do not want to work with that person. I, I yeah, sorry. You, no, no, go ahead. Go okay. ahead. I, I, I 100% agree. And I'm glad you brought in how personality does play into it. And um, like, for like, when I think of like Joey flex, I think of like, you know, like video games, anime, like there's a, there's a feeling towards like uh, Jonathan Keiko and like, those mm-hmm. guys, like, you know, and I know Russell leans into it too. Like, it's more than just the power lifting where some of that flavor and they, the, the slang they use, um, you know, when they're using the hashtags and using the captions, it is like, um, you know, there's, there's a, something you're buying into and you, and you mm-hmm. might watch it and someone might be like, I want to be a part of that, that crew. Is that mm-hmm. the cool kids on the lunch? Now I want to sit down at that table. Yep. If, if that makes sense. And I know you mean we're yourself. You're like, okay, well, I don't, I'm not trying to be jo- uh, Joey Flex, um, but you do have your own thing too. Like you went to MIT, you're into politics. Like you're, it's, it's different. You got your own flavor. And um, I can say for like myself, I might not agree with everything you post, but I don't need to. The, the older I get, the more I realize I don't need to agree with it. You know what? Like it would be, it would kill me if I sat down with somebody and we only agreed with everything. Like we, I'm an IPF guy and I don't, I'm not even a part of the USA because I'm not American, but it, I don't need to agree with that with you. I like having conversations with you and we could have it and, and it doesn't, it doesn't affect anything. Yeah. Like these are good conversations. As a matter of fact, when you only surround yourself with people that agree with you, you stop having those conversations and you make valid points. The, about like if the I, or if the USAPLF, it all make valid points. And we both are faced with, we have to discuss it. I'll take away and be like, okay, I still hold firm my ideas, but I am open. I, I didn't see it that way. There's a quote, like, you know, don't sit down and have a discussion with somebody 
if you don't think the other person's capable of, of understanding perspective and having more perspective than just themselves, they have to be right. That Then it's useless, right? Yeah. So I know what you mean, man, where it's like, A, you don't have to agree with everything I'm saying. And then B, it's okay that the fact, I do think it adds to your popularity, the fact that you got some flavor, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not just vanilla I'm posting out, you know, like I, I'll go to your shit just to like, I almost want to hear what you got to say about certain things. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's a, I totally understand as well as you do put out content uh, yourself, like on YouTube, et cetera. And some people it's hard for them. They're good coaches, but they don't know how to fucking master social media. Yeah. Like, it's just not my thing. I'm not into politics. I'm not into anime. I'm not into, I don't know. I don't know how to give another, I don't want to go too deep on yeah. One of the other two, and they're like, what do I do? And they're like, I get it. You're a good you're a good powerlifting coach, but you don't know how to fucking bring it forward. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, one of the things that I do as a coach, and, and I'm sure this will will change to some degree, but I, I really don't want it to. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier on, like people get married, they have kids, they have a life that they need to tend to outside of powerlifting. And and because of that. Um, you try to trim the fat with your powerlifting coaching in terms of communication. Like people will, you know, maybe they used to speak every day and then they go to weekly check-ins or they stop using their phone and they, you know, they start putting things on Google drive. Like they try to make it as informal as possible because it can, it streamlines the process. Right. And like, you can, you can allocate specific time to things and that's, and that's for some people it works really well. And, and if you work with athletes who prefer that mode of communication, then that works out well for both parties, right? It's, it's great. It's a, it's a win-win. But for me, I mean, I communicate and for better or for worse, I'm on my phone all day and I communicate with my athletes all day. But I think that because of that, you know, what I mentioned before with, with, with having a team of people that I'm actually like compatible with, um, that's why that happens, right? Because if you, you know, if you don't make clear who you are, like what your brand is in terms of like values and personality and vision and all these things, um, you, the person doesn't know what they're getting into. And then when you start working with them and if the communication is like this very impersonal, like regularly scheduled kind of thing, I mean, you never will, right? And like if things, you know, let's say I were that coach and then I go and post something on social media. I'm sure people would be like, whoa, 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 like what's going on, <laughs> right? And then that would lead to some sort of internal conflict. But the thing with my coaching is like, I make it so clear who I am. And then through the constant communication I have with my athletes, we become much closer and learn more about each other as people. And I think, you know, I think that lends itself toward better long-term progress with an athlete because you just you are just more invested in the person when there's more of a level, a layer to it than just the professional, you paid me a hundred and whatever dollars a month. So I need to yield progress for you. It's like, no, when you care more, like on a, on a personal level, like you do a better job, even if you'd like to think that you can just professionally, you know, just dispassionately program something and it's going to be the best thing ever. Just, it just, do, it doesn't work out that way. Like I've, I've had situations in the past where like, I've had, I've had a lifter, you know, I've had lifters come on who like just personality wise, it just, we didn't really, you know, weren't really compatible. They didn't like communicating as frequently. Like it was like pulling teeth, trying to get them to tell me what was going on. And it just, you have that, you have that up on, happen all the time where like the coach athlete relationship is just not there. And it's just like, 
miserable coaching people like that. Like I would rather you take your money back and I fill your spot with somebody else than have to deal with like working with somebody that I don't like as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think I've done a good enough job, like dissuading those kinds of people so that I don't have to deal with it and they don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, that is actually the, you're, you're, you're in a position and you earned it the old fashioned way, right? Coming up yourself and then building your roster. Um, like nobody hated anything to you. And so you're in a position now where you're like, I have more than I need so I can pick and choose as opposed to however many people out there who are like, I'm just trying to grow. I want to have enough people that I don't have to have a day job. And you, and I mean, and you need to, to do that. Like, you know, I mean, you can't be, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? Like when you're first starting off, like you just have to, you know, you're going to have to coach beginners. And I think everybody should. And I, this is like a a tangent, so I'll be quick with it. But like, I think that a lot of powerlifting coaches, I mean, we could talk forever about how everybody becomes a fucking coach nowadays, but I mean, I think it's very valuable to have coached people in person um, and work with beginners. Cause that's, I mean, that's where you learn, but um, yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're starting off, like you, you probably are going to work with people that you're not like overly excited to work with just because like, that is, that's your pool. Like that's where you, you just have to do your best and, and kind of, you know, fake it till you make it sort of deal. This is where you grind. This is where you, you sharpen your teeth, so to speak. And you, you sharpen yeah, exactly. that pencil. It's delayed nobody, gratification and nobody, right. nobody yeah. appreciates delayed gratification anymore. It's how bad as a coach, how bad do you want it? You know, if you, if you can't work with freaking a bunch of kids who may or may not stay and go through all that and build a roster, then maybe you don't really want to be a coach anyways. It's yeah. not just going to fall on your freaking lap. You got to yeah. earn this man. So it's uh yeah. And it's, it's, it's not, we've seen it all. We've seen athletes turn into coaches. We've seen guys who just came out of, you know, they're just straight known as coaches it, or, or whatever. Some guys were, like, like a Mike T was an athlete so long ago, most people that come in now didn't know he was a coach or an athlete. You have to tell them You're like, oh shit, was he a coach? Yeah. Or sorry, was he an athlete? Yeah, he was good. So, I mean, uh, yeah, we've seen it all too. There's no, there's no like um, proven formula to it, man. We've also seen athletes try to do coaching and the shit just doesn't work out. Yeah. They're just, they're, there are people without naming names who are strong as fuck, super good. At, at lifting but do not know much about programming do yep. not know much about like the game handling anything like that yeah and, and if they were like i'm gonna start coach and you would think like well you're a world-class lifter we should all start hopping on board and it'd be like if you know if you know you know you talk to enough coaches whatnot and you'd be like man yeah it's not the same it's not the same like how closely related are are being a top-end athlete and a top-end coach it's not the still same skill set yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's the, it's the, the double-edged sword of the, of the free market. Like there literally are no regulations whatsoever to becoming a powerlifting coach. Like you say you are and you are, and that's it. Right. But I think, <laughs> that's true. I think, I think at this point, to be honest, that like I used to, and I think it's, I think it's, it's rational as a coach who's coming up to get angry about that. Like I remember two, three years ago, you know, I would see people say that they're coaches and start, you know, taking on clients who really didn't know what they were doing. And you get mad. You're like, fuck this guy. Like why? Like, this is just, there's no integrity here. Like they shouldn't be coaching. And it, it makes sense. Cause like, it, it's almost like, it's not necessarily like you're, you're not threatened by them. Like you don't think you're going to lose a spot to them, but you're almost insulted that like you've done things the right way. And then somebody comes along and thinks that they could do it this way. But you know, the, the longer you're in it, 
you kind of realize like the free market takes care of itself. Like they might get a few fools and like, that's unfortunate, but, but over time, I mean, the, the, the cream rises to the top. Like people okay. know who the established coaches are. So listen, we're starting to get any elections, but God bless America and the free market. Right. My friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's, don't, let's not get me started. Let's not, <laughs> let's not do, let's not do it. I just see the free market. We'll take care of all. Like, but listen, man, you've been on for two and a half hours now. Four I, days. Greatly, I greatly, yeah, four days. God, man, I'm not even, okay, we will get into it. I just want to say, I'm not even American. And um, a lot of people that I follow and whatnot aren't American. We're all watching, man. This is amazing. It's it's so captivating. I can't turn away. But um, you're safe up there. Well, that's right. I, I can't be touched either way. Nobody. No, when you're outside, it. I I don't I don't lose either way. It doesn't matter. So I'm just watching for enjoyment. This is game. Yeah, I'm sure. Every everybody, every other country is just watching it like a reality TV show. It is, dude. It's like watching Game of Thrones. Like the plot twists are amazing. I can't wait to see how this ends. The 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 fine the finale is going to be phenomenal. I'm going to watch a Joe Rogan show when he's having like a live screening with I think Alex Jones is going to be on the yep, show. Yep, Alex and Jones. They're going to watch it, dude. Bro, <laughs> that's gonna bro, be nuts <laughs> bro i'm watching that drinking like i'm watching a sporting event it's gonna be phenomenal oh, it's but, gonna be but, but uh anyways thank you for coming on my man two and a half hours gracious for your time i know you're busy as fuck uh so greatly appreciated good luck with training congratulations on the 825 and i uh, can't wait to see you on the platform again um when might that be undisclosed right now or if if the arnold happens i'll probably try to you know I, the the longer you spend in powerlifting the more every length of time away from a meet starts to feel shorter. Like, I think it's like 18 or 19 weeks away and that feels super close. Yeah. But then when you start in powerlifting, you're like, Oh, I have all the time in the world. And you're just like, when you're, you know, you're, you're more, you know, you're more seasoned. You're like, fuck that's So, soon. so <laughs> if the Arnold happens, I'll, I'll probably do it. Um, but if not, I'll, I'll compete in the spring. I think probably the next time. Beautiful, my friend. Well, keep in touch. Uh, um, I'll keep me in tune with all your latest monsters. Yes, and, sir. Uh, and I'll be reposting. It always helps me out. So helps us both win-win. And uh, yeah, man, talk to you later. Good luck with everything. Take care, man. Thanks for having me on. See you, buddy. Bye.